Hello and welcome to Whiskey Wednesdays, a Fools and Flagons show where I, the DM, review and discuss various topics regarding D&D while drinking a glass of whiskey. Or tonight, in my case, I'm drinking oh. beer because it was old oh, Pez is dead. Um, uh, the stream will last at least as long as it takes me to finish the glass. It'll probably take longer because my notes, which is why I'm not bothering with whiskey, I'm doing a lot of beer. Um, we have started a new streaming schedule. There's a calendar down below to help keep track of all of our upcoming new shows. And the Whiskey Wednesdays that you are currently here live for, potentially, hopefully, will be available on the Monday after the show airs on Twitch, on our YouTube channel, or in podcast form on iTunes, Spotify, and many other mainstream podcast services. Donations are never required, but always appreciated. If you would like to support us, please always consider required, our... Never appreciated. Please consider our coffee page. All proceeds from donations and memberships go straight back into making Fools and Flagons an even better experience. And it helps keep the podcast alive and well. If you'd like to get a little bit of something something back from supporting us, you can purchase a doodle of questionable quality on our coffee page. For a mere $10, you're not only helping us out, but you'll also get a doodle from Venera of a creature of your choosing, the quality of which will be questionable at best. If you need any um, references for said doodles, you can look at our artwork slideshow at the beginning and the end of the stream. And if we ever have a... Oh, shit, hold on. I have Rick's thing up with audio, and I need to make him shut up. God damn it, Zeke. <laughs> not even fucking paying attention to the stream, you whore. What'd I do? <laughs> I still had your video stream up for when you're showing us a thing, and I just heard, It's like, ah, oh. uh, I need you're to doing the you. intro. <laughs> yeah, but I forgot to mute you again, so he was speaking over me in Japanese. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, took it down. We're good. So, uh, with all that being said, as you can see with our topic menu to the left, we will be touching on our least favorite class in D&D and why. Uh, we were also requested to review the Yuan-Ti, and it has come to my attention that there is a new version and a legacy version of the Yuan-Ti. The other thing that I'm going to be talking about is the unkillable barbarian that uh, James and I, James is part of our Discord and Kirsten's husbando, uh, discovered kind of by accident. So we're going to touch on that a little bit later tonight. So, uh, do either of you find young strapping... Lads or lasses have a preference of which topic you would like to discuss first. I would like a number seven. Hold the pickles, please. The menu only goes to four, bud. I can't count. I'd like a number three. No onions. All right. Going with the Yuan T legacy. Hello, Becca. Oh, Hello, fuck. Isa. How are you? Hi, folks. Hi, bitches. Actually, um, <laughs> with that being said, I'm probably going to cover the, the new Yuan T first because there's a lot less to them. But he ordered oh. a number three. <clears throat> I know, but this is the appetizer. It comes oh, with a number okay. two. And the banana lodge with extra dip. So, uh, with the new Yuan T, this came from the new book that literally just came out um, The Monsters of the Multiverse. So the lore that was supplied for this one is far lacking than the legacy version. Uh, it says that they were originally humans who transformed themselves into serpent folk through ancient rituals. Most were corrupted into monsters by these rites, but some instead became a new people who mixed characteristics of humans and snakes. 
Through these rites, they were blessed with resistance to magical and poisonous effects, and each Yuan-Ti manifests their serpentine heritage in a variety of ways. A forked tongue, snake eyes, a snake-like nose, you know, Voldemort, or some other Ophidian characteristic. Harry. <clears throat> yes. Anyway. Uh, no, only Kayla can do that, and she's not here. <clears throat> For the stats of these, um, and, and this one's a little bit interesting because normally when you pick a race, you get stat increases depending on what whatever race you're playing. Uh, you know, it just fits in with the lore. For these ones, um, they can raise one stat by two and another by one, or they can raise three stats by one, and that's just that's really unusual for racial bonuses. It's usually like you, uh, I guess, for the Yuan Ti, since they have poison resistance, you would be able to raise your constitution by two and your strength by one, or something, uh, something along those lines. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> I, I don't think I I've ever seen another race do that. Has I wonder if that's changed for any of the other... Is this the only race that got revamped? Uh, no. Um, looking at the D&D character uh, race page, I minimize everything and get to... Like, uh, Mordekainen presents Monsters of the Multiverse. It has update for everything. Aarakocra, Asimar... Ergonasi, Bugbear, Centaur, Changeling, Deep Known, Duragar, uh, Earth Ganassi, Eladrin, Fairy, Furbolg, Fire Ganassi, Githyanki, uh, Githzerai, Goblins, Goliaths, Herongons, Hobgoblins, Kenku, Kobolds, Lizardfolk, Minotaurs, Orcs, Satyrs, Sea Elf, Shadar Kai, Shifter, Tabaxi, Tortle, Triton, Water Ganassi, and Yuan T. So they basically touch on pretty much every playable race. I didn't hear Dragonborn. You're right. Yeah. There was no Dragonborn. That's why I said um, almost. Okay, <clears throat> so just looking at it myself, because I, I pulled it up as well, it looks like they pretty much did away with all um, specific ability score increases for every race. And I assume this is part of their movement to be a little less uh, stereotyping of of races um which was a but, big thing that they started about a year ago i think but i mean that's just that's what races are like that's what makes you want to pick a race you know oh, i'm aware but this, this is a uh, i'm not sure i agree with to the extent it has gone but this is part of a kind of political correctness um thing that started and like i agree They're with fantasy some of it like monsters like what yeah yes granted some of them can be thinly veiled attempts uh uh well not attempts thinly veiled uh racist stereotypes um and they have been before in other popular literature but i don't know this seems just like a little bit too much political correct political correctness needs to just die um <clears throat> Other than that, the, the other basic stats are pretty common. Um, they can read and write common in one other language. They live for around a century. They're similar to humans in size and weight. 
Your size is medium and you have 30 feet of movement and you have dark vision. The other less common uh, stats for the Yuan-Ti, at least with the, the multiverse one, <clears throat> you have advantage on saving throws against spells and saving throws you make to avoid or end the poison condition on yourself. You also have resistance to poison damage. You know the poison spray cantrip, and you can cast Animal Friendship an unlimited number of times, but only on snakes. At third level, you gain access to the Suggestion spell. Once you cast that spell, you must take a long rest before using it again. Intelligence, Wisdom, or Charisma are your spellcasting modifiers when casting these spells, and you choose them. Choose one when you select the race. So, that's pretty much all we got from the multiverse Yuan-T. If we look at the legacy Yuan-T, I've got about four pages worth <laughs> of notes. <laughs> Uh, so, the lore specifically was way more fleshed out with the legacy Yuan-Ti purebloods. Uh, they were an ancient, uh, decadent human empire. They, uh, their dark gods taught them profane, cannibalistic rituals to mix their flesh with that of snakes producing a caste-based society of hybrids in which the most snake-like are the leaders and the most human-like are spies and, and agents in foreign lands. They developed a philosophy of separating emotion from intellectual pursuits, allowing them to focus their energy on personal advancement and expanding their territory. They believe themselves to be the most enlightened mortals in the world, and in their hubris, they sought to become even greater. So they also kind of ish became like lizard folk in the fact that they were like eh, well emotions are blech so um the serpent gods of the primordial world heeded the prayers of these people and hissed dark demands into their ears the people tainted their souls by performing human sacrifices in the name of the gods debased their flesh by cannibalizing their victims and then performed a sorcerous ritual while writhing in pools filled with living snakes that enabled them to mix their flesh with that of serpents, becoming like the gods in body, thought, and emotion. Freed from the limitations of their human bodies, the Yuan-Ti use their new abilities to conquer new lands and expand their borders. Their society quickly coalesced into a caste system based on how complete a person's transformation was. The vast majority of Yuan-Ti fall into three categories, abominations, malisons, and purebloods. All of the Yuan-Ti can interbreed. Uh, females usually lay clutches of eggs, although live births are not uncommon. A mating between a Yuan-Ti of different types almost always produces eggs that hatch into Yuan-Ti of the weaker parent. So most choose partners of the same type in the interest of maintaining the strength of their personal bloodline. So yeah, they're, uh, they're weird. Very purist. Yeah, they're, they're very, uh, Thanks. Yeah, they're they're very much we're better than you. Um, now I'm gonna eat ya. <laughs> so their civilization is actually, I say it's interesting. It, it's almost stereotypical, but it's like 
I mean, skipping ahead a few uh, a few paragraphs here, but their descent from their like pinnacle is weird. That's all I'm gonna touch on that for a second. Gonna take a little sippy sip here. <laughs> so, with their civilization. The Yuan-Ti know rituals that can transform an individual into a more powerful type. The cost and time required to perform the, the ritual is prohibitive, and as a result, most Yuan-Ti never get the opportunity to undergo such a transformation. Every use of the ritual must be modified to suit the individual undergoing the transformation, and it requires rare herbs, exotic magical substances, snakes, and one or more humans to be sacrificed and eaten as part of the procedure. The serpent gods taught the humans how to take on aspects of the snake, but the cost of the change was high, requiring many sacrifices for each person to be transformed. Entire households of slaves in one city-state were killed and eaten to create the first Yuan-Ti. And once the news of how to perform these rituals spread to the other leaders, the call for slaves to fuel the process increased. As the serpent gods began to demand more and more sacrifices, the Yuan-Ti stepped up their raids on bordering settlements to meet this need. <clears throat> so basically, they were kind of eating themselves out of hired help. Well, I say hired help. Forced help. Yummy. Ugh. I uh, can see why they'd want to kind of stray from that. Uh, well, they didn't actually want to stray from it. They, they wanted more of it. Oh. So, the, uh... Well, I mean, like... I mean, wizards. Like, why they would stray from, like, that kind of, <laughs> like, lore side. It seems like it's, like, very... strong... like, ritualistic background, which it seems like would almost force some character archetypes more than anything. So, I, I, I wonder if they, like, strayed from that to... It's expensive. Give people more liberty. Um, not particularly, because if you have, like, the Abominations, they're mainly a melee class. In, in most cases, the Abominations are going to be, like, think of the Hulk, but with a snake head. And instead of arms, he's got multiple snake heads, and they just bite the handles of their weapons and smack people. Right. So not necessarily casters, but... Sure, there's, they've probably had a hefty amount of uh, sorcerers and wizards to, you know, perform the rituals and whatnot. N no, I just mean, like, personality-wise, it'd be a very heavy influence to, like, put on on a character, like, roleplay-wise. So I wanted to, like... Yeah, Met Metal's talking about, like, Wizards of the Coast and them going more uh, PC. Oh! No, not PC, just, like, less, like, enforcing on like a like oh, a character norm. Yeah, the, this character this particular race is very very like you play them a specific way. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I have some thoughts on that and we'll we'll get to that when we get down to the uh personality traits that they have listed as uh as options. And some of right. them actually kind of interest me a little bit. Uh but I'm excited. Uh, so, continuing on with the civilization, uh, the physical and magical prowess of the Yuan-Ti Empire allowed the former humans to retain their holdings for several hundred le years. Leap years. Um, no, it's years. I just fucked up saying leap. Anyway. <laughs> uh, until a combination of drought, attacks by enemies, including dragons and nagas, civil war, 
torpor among the serpent gods, and the development of iron weapons by some of their conquered enemies finally loosened the Yuan-Ti's hold over nearby lands. The serpent people withdrew to their fortified cities and underground temples, ceding the rest of their territory to their former minions. The Yuan-Ti crawled away and hid in a matter of weeks, all but disappearing from the world. Yuan-Ti structures throughout the land were torn down to celebrate liberation from the snake-bodied oppressors, and within a few generations, the Yuan-Ti were all but forgotten by the new humanoid civilizations. For over a thousand years after their empire fell, the Yuan-Ti remained ensconed in their hidden strongholds, biding their time until they were ready to strike again. Today, with their numbers greatly depleted and their enemies much stronger than in ages past, the Yuan-Ti know they can't resort to direct attacks in order to reclaim their rightful place in the world. Operating out of the subterranean ruins of their buildings in foreign lands, the Yuan-Ti agents infiltrate enemy governments to discover weaknesses that their leaders can exploit. The Yuan-Ti look forward to the day when their empire rises again and spreads across the world like venom through the blood as it once did. So that's kind of what I was meaning by it's interesting with their downfall is that it's like as soon as there was a strong enough like pressure against them, they just fucking dipped. <laughs> I mean, seriously though, imagine that you know, the Spanish conquistadors come down and they find the Aztecs. And then one conquistador fires a gun and the Aztecs just say Nope, fuck it. I'm out. <laughs> and they, they just they just they just leave. They fucking disappear. I, I mean normally when you hear of a civilization like this receding or declining, it's like massive battle, the city is sacked. It's like no, nah, the on the Yuan T basically just said, fuck it, you can have it. We're out. Later, fuckers. <laughs> See you in a couple thousand years. It's just it's <laughs> bizarre. Yeah. I mean, uh, they seem. I mean, uh, I think it, that's very serpentile of them, though, because uh, a is. common trait of snakes is like they will quickly uh, assess whether or not it's an easy fight. And if it's not, bye. Right. And we're actually about to kind of touch on that as well. So, good segue. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I I do my best. Uh, so, moving on to Emotionless. This is where they kind of touch into the same realm as the lizard folk from last week. During their ascension, the Yuan-Ti freed themselves from their human emotions. Now they view the world from a pragmatic and dispassionate perspective. They understand emotional connections in a detached, intellectual way, and recognize that these feelings in others can be exploited through bribes, favors, and threats. Uh, as creatures devoid of emotion... Yuan-Ti exhibit behavior and use these tactics that exemplify that outlook, or lack of one. Whether in combat or in daily life, the following principles guide the Yuan-Ti in all they do. The Yuan-Ti put very little value on humanoid lives, even those of their own slaves and cultists. They would poison children to carry out a threat against their parents, or turn one person into a brood guard in order to show their family the consequence of resistance. They might refrain from provoking others' feelings if doing so could adversely affect the Yuan-Ti's plans, but they understand humanoid psychology well enough to know that they can get away with this casual disregard for life almost any time. Yet, yeah, poison the children! 
<laughs> in the Yuan-Ti caste system, a greater Yuan-Ti's life is worth far more than the lesser ones. Weaker citizens are expected to lay down their lives to protect their betters. Leaders rely on this zealotry in their plans, and although they don't needlessly waste the lives of purebloods on futile actions, most strategies include a fallback option in which mobs of purebloods and slaves are thrown at opposing fortress, uh, forces. And here's where we kind of reaching back to what Zeke said. The Yuan-Ti are likely to retreat or flee from conflict if they don't believe they have a reasonable chance of success. This isn't out of cowardice, but practicality. They value their own lives too much to risk them if the odds aren't in their favor. The objective of the Yuan-Ti as a race is to conquer and enslave others. They use many methods for capturing enemies such as poisoning, knocking out an opponent instead of making a killing blow, throwing nets, using magic such as suggestion, or restraining them in the coils of a giant snake. As such, the Yuan-Ti have no sense of honor in combat, all the dishonor! Uh, they are naturally stealthy, and if they can sneak up on enemies, either in an ambush or to murder them in their sleep, the Yuan-Ti will do so, and they actually prefer these tactics to open warfare. Their immunity to poison gives all Yuan-Ti a tactical advantage in dealing with other creatures. A pureblood serving as a food taster for a royal family could poison a meal and declare it safe after taking a bite. Sneaky little fuckers. So, yeah, they... It's literally a race of fucking rogues. Mmm, kinda, <laughs> yeah. Which, weirdly enough, they say that they're, like, naturally stealthy, but they don't have any bonuses to dexterity or stealth. They sound to me a lot like Romulans. Uh, yeah, kinda. I can see that. I don't know enough to confirm nor deny, so I will just smile and nod. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate, sir? Uh, I mean, in Star Trek, Romulans are sneaky, not really cowardice, and they are kind of dishonorable, but um, they... Uh, just engage in a lot of subterfuge. They do. They start fights with Klingons. They keep trying to make... Starfleet fight other uh, species and factions. But yeah, Romulans are shifty, poisonous, treacherous snakes. Mm, who are, uh, okay. They kind of abandoned logic because they are a subspecies of Vulcan, but yeah. Interesting. That, yep. that, that was it. Uh, so, this is where I actually had quite a bit of fun, um, just as a DM and as a player, looking at some of the personality traits and kind of giving my own two cents on uh, how they could be used, whether or not I think they're actually worthwhile, and all that. So, starting with the personalities initially, we've got, um, I see omens in every event and action. The Serpent Gods still communicate and advise us. So, with that one, you're kind of an avid worshipper of the old gods, and you could potentially try and explain your way out of your decisions with this method. Because if you say like, oh, well I went to this bar and burned it down because my god told me to. You may not get away with it, but it's a good explanation. 
Um, you kind of got not be a good explanation, but it's an explanation. But it's an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one's a bit hoity-toity, uh, and it seems very. On the one hand, I understand why it's there for the Wanti, but it, it feels very generic. Uh, you have high standards for food, drink, and physical pleasures. So, I mean, to me, it's like you're you're very prim and proper, and you have a, ha uh, a high standard of living, and probably a bit of a superiority complex. But then again, it could be a fun roleplay aspect. If you're with an adventuring party for whatever fucking reason, and you go to, like, a backwoods place, then you get to bitch and moan about, like, oh, the accommodations are terrible. So. Uh, the next one. <laughs> uh, I prefer to be alone rather than among other creatures, including my own kind. Fuck this trait. Do not be a lone wolf character in D&D. It's boring as fuck for everyone involved, and you aren't cool for being one. Granted, there's a right and wrong way to do it, but everyone does it the wrong way. <laughs> everyone does it the wrong way, which is why I say fuck this trait. I bet I could pull it off. No. Hug your moss. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't even attempt to pull this off. And I can I consider myself to be a pretty versatile person when it comes to acting. That's what my career path is. But even I wouldn't try to pull this off. I could do it. I'm making a Yuanti right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, the next trait is I believe I am superior to others of my cast. That's kind of exactly like the second trait with the high standards of food and drink. I kind of see those two being one and the same. Um, this is one... Uh, could tie in very well to some of the later traits that we'll talk about. I am interested in modern human culture, even as primitive as it is. And my initial note was, this is their own opinion, of course, because they live in old-as-fuck temples, for fuck's sake. Um, but that, that, that personality trait, as I read some of their ideals and bonds and all, could be a very, very, very interesting... Uh, like character arc but we'll we'll get to those as we go further down the last one for the personality tree is i wait the day when we again conquer lands by force as we did in the old times could probably use that as a way to try and intimidate enemies with threats of future enslavement or sacrifice eh okay no other opinions moving on to ideals <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, with their ideals, we've got greed, which is, I display my wealth as a sign of my power and prosperity. Again, that can lead very nicely with the personalities uh, up above. Oh, got, Ian. Hmm? I did, I, as as you were saying, well, moving on, I did think of one thing. Uh, okay. The await the day where we conquer lands by force. You could play that uh, very um, jokingly as kind of the, the South will rise again. <laughs> The Yuan T will rise again! Hippity boo! <laughs> Sorry, hissity boo! Someone just fans out a revolver in the air. <laughs> bang, 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 bang! Silver bullets! 30 gold, right there! <laughs> yeah, I did think of that. It's like, if that would be a really fun way to play it. And just like, uh huh, sure, whatever, buddy. 
Why did Becca say Arthur Weasley, you want tea? <laughs> oh, interested in modern human culture. Oh, yeah, no, that checks out. Yeah. Uh, the next ideal you, is aspiration. I strive to follow the path towards becoming a higher caste. Which could be an interesting th thing to try. So, uh, as per their lore, there is a way to transform yourself to a higher caste. That could be a very plausible character arc where you need to go around the world uh, using adventuring as an excuse to gather ingredients and maybe try to sacrifice your party to ascend. It's like a super evil uh, story arc, but it could be interesting if you're trying to do it like on the down low with the DM. Yeah. God, what? that would be... I would be very upset at the party member who sacrifices my favorite boy. Oh, man. But it would be a phenomenal story. I could pull this off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking piss. <laughs> uh, the next ideal is unity. No leader shall put personal goals above those of your race. Again, could be a very good story arc for a Yuan-Ti party member. To, uh, to find others who could potentially help overthrow this corrupt-minded Yuan-Ti that has abandoned their ways. The next one, mm -hmm. kinship. My allegiance is to my caste and my city. Other settlements can burn for all I care. This one I kind of had a little bit of, of fun, like, mental workup for, because the mentality of most character or most players is... You know, the DM describes you're approaching a town, you see smoke in the distance. As you get closer, you hear sounds of combat, there's smoke in the air. And the rest of the party is like, oh my fucking god, we have to save them all! And the yuan is literally just there like, why? This <laughs> race existed as a race. If Sorry, if race existed as a race? Is that what you said? No, how, how has this race existed? They literally don't give a shit about anybody else but themselves. Yeah. Back when they could, they just conquered everyone, and then everyone else figured out how to not be conquerable, and they said, well, fuck, bye. They they essentially, because you kind of popped in here a little bit late, they essentially evolved their society faster than anyone else. They were crazy smart, crazy powerful. They came up, they used their, uh, their connection with their serpent gods to learn how to make steel first. And they basically use their military power to subjugate all their nearby neighbors, enslave them, use them as sacrifices. And then eventually the other races were just like, okay, fuck these guys. Hey, slaves, you want to revolt? We'll help. And they said, hell yeah, we got iron weapons, baby. And then they, yip -a -yip and then fucking they ran away. That is like the super TLDR of the Yuan-Ti civilization. It's just, it's just like literally like all they have to do is just attack one settlement at a time. Because none of them are going to come to defend each other. They all think they're better than everybody else. Yeah. It's just like the, the, the race is an oxymoron in itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were only they were only top of the cast when they were the most powerful. The moment they become not the most powerful, they immediately sink back into their hole because they're like, I don't want to risk my life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, the next ideal is inspiration. My actions set an example for the lesser cast to emulate. Um, I didn't really have any notes on this one. It seems like a pretty standard 
God complex, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a way to uh, a, a player to stick to roleplay situations. I mean, uh, the last one is power. Everything I choose to do is determined by whether it will make me smarter and stronger. I feel like this one's a bit weak. Probably the weakest out of all of them. Uh, Seems it's, very standard. <laughs> yeah, it, it's still a, a decent stepping stone for how a player might start to view the world, but it, it's it's very weak, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, of any of these, I think the the most um, interesting mm-hmm. and probably more more fun to play would be the aspiration, the path to becoming hated. Um, mm-hmm. It just seems like it'd be a it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so moving into bonds, this is where I started to get kind of really excited by the idea of Yuan T. Uh, so the first one, I will see our empire rise again, and in so doing, win the favor of the serpent gods. Uh, again, really interesting concept. Uh, might be a little bit tricky on how you get that to work with an adventuring Yuan T. Maybe put in the same aspect of the uh, trying to become a higher caste. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But this one, this one really, really intrigued me. Uh, I am enamored. I, I am enamored with the culture and trappings of another society and wish to be part of it. So my thought was perhaps a Yuan Ti was born into the culture rather than being made into it, as uh, and it, they're now rebelling, and they want to join into another society that better fits their preferences. It could be a really interesting way to incorporate like personality number five, and uh, maybe that was kind of like the start of their their f- fall, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So the next bond, I respect my superiors and obey them without question. My fate is theirs to decide. This could be a fucking hilarious bond, because if you think of it in a party dynamic. Who does the Yuan Ti player decide is the leader of the group? And then could that leader change? If they're just like, well, this guy actually kind of sucks. This guy's now the leader. And then just like on the fucking flip the switch, you literally do whatever he says. Man, we should go kill that guy. Just fucking already stabbing him like three times in the chest. Yuan Ti, that kills people. I thought that was the point. (laughs) That's what you said. (laughs) Uh, I didn't say we should kill him. I said we should kill him. <laughs> uh, the next one, I have an interest in an unsuitable mate, which I can't suppress. Again, interesting story arc. Uh, could somewhat tie into the second bond where you're looking into a new society that you want to be part of, or you know, you're interested in the human cultures and you find someone that's not Yuan-Ti and you're like, why do I like you? Let's fuck. I don't know. <laughs> I find you irresistible. The fuck, mate? <laughs> Let's make great eggs together. Um, the next one, again, I, I feel is just, like, really, really boring. I respect and emulate a great hero or ancestor. I mean, if it gives you a good roleplay kickoff point, great. But I just feel that's, in the grand scheme of things, it's weak. Mm-hmm. Or it could be added on to some, or to tacked on to another one. Yeah, because there's nothing saying you can't have multiple bonds or multiple ideals or flaws or personalities, so long as you know they don't super conflict. Um, 
The last one for bonds. An enemy destroyed something of value to me, and I will find where it lives and kill the offender. While I do feel like this is a bit stereotypical, it's still a fun avenue to hunt down some long-lost, like, NPC to get your revenge. And I even put in parentheses, who am I kidding? We have two players with this same story arc right now in our campaign. So, <laughs> there you go. We do? Yeah, Wait, great. what was the story arc again? Uh, and Well, I mean, not specifically, but an enemy destroyed something of value to me, and I will find where it lives and kill the offender. Mm. The, the general premise is very similar to what two of our players are currently attempting right now. Revenge! If that ain't a good reason, if that ain't a good reason, get out of house. I don't know what is. Beer. <laughs> Shit, you got a point, though. <laughs> uh, so, lastly, we're gonna touch on the flaws, and these are when I was really just like, you could really make a fun fucking character with this. Um, so the first flaw is I feel twinges of emotion, and it shames me that I am imperfect in this way, and I noted down that this could very easily tie in with bonds number two and four and could very easily explain their wanderlust. It's uh, also it's also uh, a very good flaw for anyone with any amount of uh, uh, maybe psychological um, pain in their past. True. Um, any sort of that thing. The second one, I put too much credence in the dictates of a particular god. I mean, if you want to go the religious route, that's a decent way to go. It could really tie into personality number one and ideals four through six. Um, It it basically means that you put way too much faith in your god. And like, you know, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, he's got our best interests in mind. It's like... No, they're literally in whatever plane they're in and just waiting for another human sacrifice. They don't give a fuck about you. They're gods. Yeah. This is also um, this is also something that pops up frequently in lawful players, especially lawful good. It's like, well, he's evil. He, I must kill him. Well, he just fed the orphans. Eh, it doesn't matter. He committed a crime. Yeah. Which, again, can be a really fun, like, archetype. I mean, look, look at when we had... Um, Oh my god, I just, I'm spacing on your old paladin's name, Metal. Zuzu! Zuzu! Zutrioth. I mean, imagine that one of our party members was a disguised undead. You know, they were cursed or whatever, and for the longest time, they were in the same party. They drank, they ate, they were happy. And then all of a sudden, like, he takes his helmet off, and he's a skeleton underneath, and he's like, Well, you gotta die! I mean... Ah, friendship. <laughs> nope, you're dead. <laughs> Sorry. You're dead again, Sorry, bitch. you're re-dead. Yeah, there it is. You're re-dead. Uh, the next one I was honestly just so disappointed in, as far as a flaw. Uh, I frequently overindulge in food and wine, and I am impaired and lethargic for days afterward. That's just so fucking boring. It's a bog-standard flaw, and it's not really, like, Yuan-T-specific. Because, I mean, if you're going to put flaws and shit in a race, instead of just being, you know basic flaws like you have for humans and everyone else uh, it... I have alcoholism fucking suck it up yeah <laughs> the next up don't actually suck it up because that's would like kind of harm your path to recovery but i mean <sighs> hold on holding on uh responding hold on give me something to hold on to 
Hold on to your butt. Um, oh, my butt! So this Don't next flaw is, well, kind of again ties into the <laughs> admiring uh, a different culture or um, feeling a bit of wanderlust. And it's, I worship a forbidden god. And my notes say, again, tying this in with bonds two and four. And then in all capitals, I wrote, rebel! Viva la resistance! <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I just just think of like a uh, UNT coming across a forgotten temple of Palor or something and you're like oh I want to worship this god everyone's like well get the fuck out yeah I, I mean it's <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting like thought experiment of being born as UNT told to worship this god and then as you're out and about you're like well this deity fucking saved my ass because of a cleric or whatever and now I've fallen in love with said cleric. She took me back to her city. None of them ever seen the UNT before, so they don't know who I am, so they're not really scared of me. They just think I've been cursed or whatever. And then it's like, these people are fucking dope. I don't want to go home. And then maybe now you're just spending the rest of the campaign dodging UNT assassins for you being a deserter. Like, it's an interesting concept to me. Mm -hmm. uh, the last two... Meh. Uh, I secretly believe things would be better if I was in charge. Your ideal number four could be a great pathway for this flaw and where you think that you could, like, be doing better than someone else or than other higher-ups. And the last one is, if I could get away with it, I would gladly kill and eat a superior Yuan T. I... Okay. Mm -hmm. So what? <laughs> great. You that think that one... you can kill someone that's better than you and eat them. Cool. Gnomes do it all the fucking time. Not really, but just think <laughs> uh, of an excuse to, you know, get off your high horse. Go for it. The one where it says I would, uh, I would be better if I was in charge. That one's another slippery slope into problem player territory that I would highly discourage. Yeah. And yep. that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, I mean, a leader of a group... The leader of a group of party members, I like it best when it changes. Based on situation. Based on situation. If you know that someone is a great talker and you get into a talking situation with like a, a lord or a king or some law enforcement official, you naturally just let them talk. If you need okay. to intimidate someone, you sick the bunny on them. Mm-hmm. You need something made or a corpse to wriggle around in, you get the kobold. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, whenever you have to split the party or people go off on stuff on their own and that certain person isn't there, it's fucking hilarious to watch someone else try to take over and sometimes fucking flounder. Fail. <laughs> yeah, fail miserably. Hey, baby. Bonk. Um. So. That's pretty much all I have as far as the lore and all goes for them. Uh, any last thoughts before I move on to stats? Uh, I will say this like because <laughs> I like snakes because uh, we kind of touched on it and that and we touched on this a lot with sometimes uh, Wizards of the Coast gives these races and characters unbelievably great backstories uh, or lore and stuff, and then sometimes it's like the new version of UNT where it's like yeah pretty pretty minimal um i just want to say i just want to say like i personally think a large part of that is connected to the fact that 
um, up until kind of present day, a lot of the source material was designed for uh, the Feyrun um, setting. Mm-hmm. So they were able to get a little bit more specific. Um, and so I think that's where a, a lot of the more specific stuff comes from. But also, like, I I feel like they're trying to trying to steer away from was like oh we don't want to pigeonhole you into this is what this character is and can only be this so it's like then you're not putting enough faith in the dm and the player to be like oh i like this this and this about this but everything else i don't like so i'm going to do away with it. you're not putting enough faith in the player to have agency i feel like if you're like well we're not going to put enough lore into this to fill a bucket yeah uh, so you it's... just do what you want and it's like well it would be nice to have some suggestions that i can yay or nay yeah it's like D&D was great. You had lore. And, and and again, like you were saying, if you want to play a Yuan-Ti, but you don't want to be... You don't want to be a cannibal. Okay, you're a Yuan-Ti that doesn't want to be a cannibal. Why do you not want to be a cannibal? What has been the consequences or bonuses of not being a cannibal? You figure that out. But, I guess... I, I also kind of wonder how much of it is because D&D is, is becoming so popular, and that... Yeah, they they like they don't want to offend anyone. Like I don't think in the new Yuanti that I covered first, I don't think they mentioned anything about cannibalism. I think they just said no. dark rituals. Yes, yeah. cannibalism would be what offends people, not the slavery part. I mean, you're right. Yeah, they didn't touch on the slavery either, which again yeah. is you know slavery's I bad, that, but I find that exactly. cruel, cruel irony since like. I was watching a Warhammer video where they, the reviewer got demonetized because he touched on the dark elves. Their their economy is literally driven by slavery. Literally. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting to me that it just feels like a little bit of an overcorrect. And I know people are going to disagree with me on that, and that's fine. You're no, I absolutely agree. No, I um, think you're fucking stupid. Well, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about just anyone on the internet might completely yeah. disagree with me and say, like, nope, it needs to be way it needs to be way less specific so that I can do whatever I want with it. It's like there being specific lore was never stopping you. You could say, yeah. Oh, all of this is stupid, do away with this. Matthew Mercer is a I know I talk about Matthew Mercer all the time, but he's a great DM, so he does a lot of great stuff. Uh, Matthew Mercer, perfect example of this, decided to make an entire country where all of the monstrous races did not follow the monstrous mold that D D had has forever and just said, Nope, they're all cool. Uh they go about their own lives like any other humanoid. That's the amazing thing about D D. You have complete agency. So, yeah. It, eh. It's like I, I just had a thought. The, the but the first one is it almost feels like they're they're hand holding too much. They're just trying to make it easier for people to jump in by not giving them quote-unquote hard lore. The second thing that I thought of is the fact that they do have D&D like competitions, tournaments, or whatever. And I wonder if a lot of what they're doing here is in retrospect of that, of making it quick and easy and more, I guess, for lack of a better word, streamlined for people. Maybe... But I feel like uh, the Adventures League, which I think is what you're talking about, yes, has, been a, yes. has been around for a long time, and this is fairly new. 
No, no, and, and that's what I'm saying is that I, I wonder if they're attempting that in a effort to get more people into it. I, I don't know. Maybe. It, it definitely feels like they're dumbing down the game. Yeah, it's, like I said, just feel like they don't trust people's own agency anymore. No. I don't trust people in general. Fair. That's also fair. <laughs> uh, so, gonna kind of blast through these stats because they're very similar to the new Yuan T from uh, the What You Call book that shall not be named anymore. So, oh, my stats have been blasted. Well, <laughs> so in this one, uh, their charisma is increased by two and their intellect by one. So, there we go. We're back to this race has these bonuses. Which makes sense, like it fits their race. Um, they live around the same length as humans. Their weight and height are similar to humans. You're a medium creature. Your walking speed is 30. You have dark vision. You know, the poison spray cantrip and you can cast animal friendship as many times as you want on snakes only. Here's a slight difference. Well, not this part. Uh, advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. But here's where it's changes slightly. You are immune to poison damage and the poison condition. Whereas the other one was you had advantage on preventing it, getting rid of it, and you had resistance to poison. They also change it so you can speak, read, and write common, abyssal, and draconic. Whereas before, it mm -hmm. was you can read and write common and one other language of your choice. So I, I just do... want to point out, mm -hmm. you're, kind of saying, you're kind of saying that backwards where what? this is the old stats and now you can only uh read or write common in one and one other i know what i said i really don't okay but i, I trust <laughs> you uh so i mean that's that's really all i've got for the yuan t like i i was initially interested when i was scrolling by and and saw two yuan t as uh playable races and then i kind of immediately became sort of disappointed like, they just went the easy route for the quote-unquote new one from that new book. So. Yeah, that's kind of my closing remarks there. It it seems like if you're doing the legacy, you want to pure bloods, you have the potential to have a really fucking interesting roleplay character. If you do the right ideals and bonds and talk to your DM about it and how you want to handle it, but... You could be really fucked up. You could be really wholesome and like, uh, what what's the Parthenex from Skyrim? I think was a dragon that's like Parthenex. Yes. Yeah, where he's I like, is it better to be born good or be born evil and overcome your evil nature? Just be so. evil. Yeah. Or just be evil. <laughs> just be evil. Yeah. And again, Welcome there's back. nothing saying that um, you can't draw from both sources to make your character. I mean, I technically, everything from the new yuan is just a dumbed-down version of the old one. So... Yeah. Yeah. With a few yeah. tweaks, but... Eh. few tweaks. Um... Yeah, I will say I've... Um... Part, part of me is like, oh, they took away a damage immunity, which is very central to the character, just made it a uh, resistance. And the other part of me is like, well, it doesn't really make sense for it to be an immunity. 
Well, looking a bit more into the like the actual lore, the the fact that you're writhing around in a pit full of snakes, and you're like using poisons for the ritual, you would yeah. naturally become resistant or even immune. I mean, I yeah, I guess I kind of see like a snake. A snake isn't resistant to its own venom. Like if they bite themselves, they're probably gonna fucking die. Ah. Uh... I said no. probably. Most snakes are immune to their own venom. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's one point in the favor of the legacy you on T. Chuck it in the fucking bucket and move on. <laughs> 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 Alright, so I know I've got a lot ready to go for our first topic, so I think I might actually want to touch on the barbarian one here super, super quick, because it's not that long. And then we can go into some big ranting and raving about our least favorite class. Uh, so when James and I were talking, we realized that a barbarian with Path of the Zealot literally cannot die unless you put them to sleep or they are charmed into dropping their rage. So hear me out. A basic bitch barbarian at level 15 gets what's called persistent rage. Beginning at 15th level, your rage is so fierce that it ends early only if you fall unconscious or if you choose it to end. Now, if we look at Path of the Zealot, you've got, at level 14, Rage Beyond Death. Beginning at level 14, the divine power that fuels your rage allows you to shrug off fatal blows. While you are raging, having zero hit points does not knock you unconscious. You still must make death saving throws, and you suffer the normal effects of taking damage while at zero hit points. However, if you would die due to failing death saving throws, you do not die until your rage ends, and you die then only if you still have zero hit points. So, that on top of persistent rage means you literally cannot die if you choose not to. You would have to be put to sleep or charmed into dropping your rage. You could literally just be pissed for eternity. I don't think that the quote from, from uh, what was it, Team Team America could have made more sense. I would love you, but only if you promise me you'll never die. I will never die. <laughs> I will <laughs> never. But, I mean, we, we must have sat in silence for about five or ten minutes trying to think of all the ways that that wouldn't work. But we could literally only think of being put to sleep or charmed. Which, granted, with you being at zero hit points, you could cast a sleep spell at level one and they would just instantly be dead. Because the sleep spell, you have to exceed their current hit points. So, like, if you had 50 total hit points, like maximum, but you only had 20, and then someone casts a sleep spell and you roll the dice and you reach, like... 25 26 that person would be asleep because you exceed their current hit points so can, sorry can the sleep cell fail like if you roll ones no you know it's just a health pool the, the, yeah oh. the way it would fail so the same scenario if you have a maximum of 50 hit points and you have 20 left because you've been in combat and someone casts sleep on you if they roll 19 you don't fall asleep and the trick about the sleep spell is that technically it can hit multiple creatures but you would have to roll like uh 
if you had two creatures with 20 hit points total and you cast sleep, but you only rolled 35, one would go to sleep, but the other one would not because you don't have enough to reach 40 to put both asleep. So I have a question, uh-huh. and this might be up to the DM, but I'm, I'm just reading the wording here. It says, you must make death saving throws and you suffer, suffer the normal effects of, of taking damage while at zero hit points. However, if you would die due to failing death saving throws, you don't die until your rage ends, and you die then only if you still have zero hit points. So in theory, since you are not technically dead until you end your, um, your until rage, you end your rage mm-hmm. if someone cast a healing spell on you while you're still raging, would that reset your death saving throws and technically uh, you could end your rage there? No. Or would they have to cast a revivify? Revivify. Actually, no. That's that brings up a strong point. I thought like if you take damage by a certain amount, you fail a death saving throw. You fail. If you, you if you are making death saving throws and you were hit with a melee attack, you instantly f- critically fail and you lose two death saving throws. Uh, so then your guys's understanding of it's incorrect because it says if you roll to fail not if you take damage to fail no because it doesn't matter that's not my question what what he's saying is that like let's say that you are you were raging and you're brought to zero hit points and you make like you've you were brought to zero hit points by the dude uh on his turn and it's your turn next you kill the fuck out of that guy well, start of your turn, you have to make a death saving throw. You roll a you roll a 15, you succeed, you have one success. You're still raging, you start walking towards the next guy that you want to kill. That's the end of your turn. Your healer, as you are walking, heals you. No more death saving throws, you're technically back at whatever hit points that you uh, were healed to, back to the standard. However... If you are killed, and let's say that you are hit with a multi-attack, like three attacks, let's say, the first attack kills you, the second attack hits, two automatic failed death saves right there, he hits you again, you're automatically considered dead. You are dead, no healing is going to heal you. The only thing that can save you is a revive. You can still run around and fight because your rage is still going. You are literally running off of pure fucking adrenaline. But as soon as your rage stops, you're done. Dead. The only way for you to not be dead and still be technically awake as you're raging is for someone to cast Revivify on you. Make sense? Wait, are you talking to me or him? All of you. (laughs) Yes, that made sense, but that wasn't the point that I was making. What was your point that you were making? So, the way that you guys said it before, you can only... You take... You want me to read How it again? It... Yes, please. So, while you're raging, having zero hit points does not knock you unconscious. You still must make death saving throws, and you suffer the normal effects of taking damage while at zero hit points. However, if you would die due to failing... Uh, death saving throws, you don't die until your rage ends, and you die then only if you still have zero hit points. I guess just the way that it's worded is when you're taking death saving throws, 
it's... Oh, my dear sweet Jesus, I'm sorry. My brain is not working today. It's a complicated uh, thing. Like, we... No, it's not complicated. I literally can't fucking say it because I just can't articulate the words to express what I'm trying to say. Um... Do you want me to type so it out to you so you're not just going please, off of memory? Please, can you just fucking yeah. type it out to me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there you are. I'll make this point. Well, I'll make this point while Ian's typing it out. I just want to point out. I believe it is. It will be up to the DM if you're ever DMing for a zealot barbarian. However, some people I googled it to just see other people's opinions and see if they had anything I miss. Some people are pointing out that um, the you only die then if you still have zero hit points. Kind of reads more like a clause, uh, implying that um, since you're not dead until the rage ends, you can still heal them. Uh, but also, again, it would be up to the DM's discretion, I believe. Um, Just pinning that on my last point. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of understand that. I, I would still say that if you're if you're raging and you're dumb enough to get into melee combat and you're getting hacked to bits, and once your rage ends, you're you're toast. Like, your spirit finally leaves your and, body. You can be revived. Yeah, and, like, and also, it seems like that's kind of the point, though, is to, like, oh, I am dead. Well, fuck you, I'm taking you all with me. Yeah, and then you just literally rage throughout the countryside until your party is able to find a diamond worth 500 gold pieces well, and they come back. you don't need a diamond. If, if you're going off of my assumption that if you no, no, fail... No, 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 no. Even if you're going off of your assumption, Warrior of the Gods, third level... Uh, if a spell such as Raise the Dead has sole effect of restoring you to life, but not undeath, the caster does not need material components to cast the spell for you. Fair point. They just need the Revivify spell. Yep. Yeah, you are literally an unkillable machine. Yeah. I mean, you can Someone... still be defeated. Like, you could still be, like, tied down and shackled in chains and not able to do any more damage or, you know, eaten. But you yeah. wouldn't die if you don't want to. That, that is so fucking bizarre. Yeah. That you could literally just not die because you don't want to. <laughs> I will say, though, after the... You gotta remember, though, also, after 24 hours of raging, you take a point of exhaustion. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> um, also, since we brought up Zealot Barbarian, someone pointed out a really interesting um, strategy to me the other day. Mm -hmm. It's that... Um, if you have a zealot barbarian and a cleric in the same party, right? Uh, and you're doing it wrong. I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're doing it right. That's exactly what you want to have. Um, but if you have them in the same party, the cleric can cast ceremony and use the marriage feature. Oh, uh, I which... know what you're talking. That's so fucking stupid. But it's kind of smart. Wait. No, no, no. Explain. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <sighs> yeah, you explain. I'm going to get another beer. It's fucking okay. dumb. I don't know why you don't like this. This is fucking hilarious. Um, so, bas so basically, if... Uh, so basically, the spell ceremony allows for a marriage to be performed. And if someone gets married, uh, then both people... Then uh, both... Hey. Uh, I'm streaming right now. Bye. Whoops. <laughs> Forgot to mute the stream. Talking to my dad on the phone. <laughs> so, how y'all doing? They can't hear me. 
You enjoying the show? Pour my beer. Hope you like it. Having a good time. Doodly doo. Okay, gonna unmute them now. And, and then bring him back since you don't need a diamond. You can just do the ceremony all over again and it counts. <laughs> So as long as the barbarian's cool with being like, yep, just kill me and we'll get married again, and then revive him. Yeah, you can just keep doing that every single week. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it, it, is, it is a very cheese uh, kind of strategy, so I understand why Ian does not like it. I absolutely would not allow it. That's so fucking stupid. It's so funny. It's so funny. But uh, but Ian, what if Zahn and Brick were to get married? That's incest, and I wouldn't allow it. Oh no! It's not, it's not it's super Stepdad, not what are you doing? <laughs> oh <right>. no! <laughs> Even Nim, Isa, Renfick, no! <laughs> Nim, I'm gonna need you to stop and let the horny happen. <laughs> what is happening? We're consummating marriage. No. Enjoy. <laughs> I don't approve. Da, 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 da. Incest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, gonna mark <laughs> that one off the list. <laughs> All righty. So, incest off the bingo card for tonight. <laughs> Man. So, um, last but not least, which is funny because it was the first on our list and we went the fucking wrong ass way, um, least favorite class and why? Uh, I know I have quite a lot to say about, uh, rangers, but does anyone else want to go first? Because I've got like, I, I've got like four and a half pages I, here. <laughs> I have the least, I, I have well, the least sophisticated I have the least sophisticated opinion, so I'm going to go first. Attaboy. I don't like fighters because they're so blank slate by default, and if you play them the wrong way, they're just going to be blank slate through level 1 through level 20, and they're just going to feel like a fucking blank slate. So, Granted, uh, their subclasses are very cool, but if you just go like fucking gladiator, they're just like, I hit, I hit hard, I'm good to so hit. Do, do me a favor, and if you could define blank slate in your own terms for this situation for me. Because I agree, I just want to make sure that I'm on the same page. Bland, bonky, just not really any abilities except for bonk more. <laughs> Got it. Metal. Wanted to be a it's barbarian, okay. but flunked out of barbarian school. Understood. Listen, it's yeah. okay to think like that. It's also to be, it's okay to be wrong, but it's all right. Now, well, in his defense, accepting being wrong. No, in his defense, that. he did say <laughs> not including subclasses. Yeah, like except yeah. gladiator, because gladiator's fucking boring. I mean, I, don't I think you're talking about champion. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Potatoes, like, tomato, just Patterson, like just shoot it. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, like Eldritch Knight is such a badass subclass, you make smoke clones. Are, oh, so you become Naruto is what I'm hearing. Echo Knight. Echo Knight. Sorry, that's what I meant. You literally become Naruto. Congratulations. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Kinda Except with swords. Not... Bitch. <laughs> yeah. 
if I if I if I if I die and I roll another character, I'm gonna make this character, and I'm gonna have to become the Hokage. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> be my life goal. <laughs> you seriously almost made me choke on my donut hole. But Zach, you can't be Hokage. They're all rogues. <laughs> no, no, they're not. I will actually kill you. Today, I will actually kill you. Oh, so. okay, real shit. Who's seen the the fan art of Snoop Dogg as a Hokage? Yeah. Oh yeah. Is yeah. that not some of the coolest shit you've ever seen? Yeah. <laughs> so cool. You know what? I'm gonna. You you guys keep talking. I'm gonna look that up and put it up on the stream real quick. <laughs> not not all shinobi are fucking rogues. So go fuck yourself. One. Two. Uh huh. Agree to, agree to disagree. <laughs> you can agree to disagree all you fucking want, but you're fucking wrong. They're ninjas. And I'll give you. I'll give you the. I will give you the best example. Rock Lee, fighter and a monk because he can fight drunk better than he can fight not drunk. I win. Just because. He does kind of win that one. Just because Listen, he's a ninja. You said all. Still. You said all. If there's even one example of you being wrong, then you're fucking wrong. They call themselves ninjas. And a ninja's not a rogue. There's a difference. <laughs> I highly disagree. You can highly go fuck yourself, but you're wrong. Mm. Whoop. That's Just because little... he's... There we go. Just because they're bad oh, dude, that at is being actually stealthy. A fucking How fucking yeah. badass is that? Like... He's okay. got he's got the damn like smoke dog out of his fucking weed pipe. It's so fucking awesome. His kunai is a weed leaf. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually pretty fucking sick. Yeah. All right. Let's get that pulled down real quick. There we go. Moving on. Uh, yeah. You can be the Hokage all you want. Camera yeah, will be not gonna be fucking rogue. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, saying that, um, Zach, would you like to uh, tell the group what your least favorite uh, <laughs> class is? It doesn't necessarily pertain to D&D. Um, &D. Uh, is it rogues? It's rogues, isn't it's, it? It's ro yeah, it's rogues for all the things. <laughs> Salty so, like, from the World of War Club. Uh, it is literally, so it's not the idea, it's not a fact <laughs> that a rogue is a piece of shit. It's for me, it's any class that thinks it's fun to want a one-on-one -on -one fight and have the other person not participate in the fight while they win is stupid. Fair. Oh, hey, look Look at this fight. I'm so good. Oh, look, I'm going to kill you while you literally can't do anything. Okay, you're so skilled. Congratulations. You literally just proved that you can fight somebody who's unarmed while you wield a tank as a weapon. I mean, it, it drives me up. <clears throat> I mean, it's one of those where people are like, yes, but that skill... Convince me how that is skill. You literally skill... push a button to go invisible, walk up behind somebody, and then unleash all of your attacks before they even know you're there. That's not skill. That's button mashing. That's cheats. It's, it's like called stealth. No, it's called cowardice. It's called <laughs> stealth. Cowardice. In, in Kirsten's defense... There is no defense. There is. World of Warcraft rogues are not quite the same as D&D &D rogues. 
that's why I said it does not pertain specifically to D and D, and that's why yes. I defined what I don't like about it. It's I don't find the concept of a class removing the fact that you can ever be in danger a fun <clears throat> concept. And I know that people argue with me, but the problem that I argue with that is is why why bother even playing the game? Well, why even bother doing anything if you're literally not going to want to participate in the dangerous shit? Well, now see in in Kirsten's case, and forgive me if I'm speaking for you here, Kirsten, uh, but with her being a rogue, she's squishy as fuck. If she fucks up her stabby stab, she's fucked. <laughs> I mean, but that's literally anybody. Like anybody in D and D can be one shot. I'm not saying that Kirsten can't. Uh, and I'm not soloing Kirsten out. Although, fuck you for being a rogue. Um, I, I am singling no. her out knowing that her hit point pool is probably the lowest in the party. I'm not and, arguing with that. I'm not arguing also, with that. I said this earlier. It probably explains the reason why there's a lot of hostility between Zahn and Kasumi. There's no hostility between Zahn and Kasumi. I unless you yeah, come I was, up with I, I this. Would, I would argue yes. that he's like infatuated with you. He never wants no. to leave your tails alone. Yes, that is true, because they are fluffy. But no, Zon does not have any type of romantic... <laughs> to, it does not have me, any type of romantic feelings for Kasumi. So far. No, to me, what it reminds me of is, like, you know when you were kids, mm -hmm. and, like, when the boy used to chase the girl around the playground, and she hated it, but they were like, oh, that's because he likes you. No. It's on, <laughs> I that's see this girl, she is my all, she is my flower. I must let her know that she is my love by throwing this rock at her. Right. And when the blood trickles down her temple, she will know that we are meant to be and we will be wed. Go, little pebble, find your mark. While, while Zan does not particularly hate Kasumi in any way, shape, or form, the type of combat that she uses is not something Zan prefers to partake in. What, you That's mean send in the back line, throw acid balls at people, and miss? Wizards also do that. But I'm yes. sorry, Kirsten. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it hurts. Listen. I heard the arrows stab her in the back. Listen, oh. but like, again. I feel bad, but the joke had to be made. No, I don't feel totally. bad. It's like, I but do. no, like. There's a, what are some other class things that I'm not a fan of? I was going to say, con considering if. Rogues in most games, I understand your your hesitation to them, but as far as D and D goes, uh, I mean, I haven't really. So you guys, I know you guys are gonna say ranger, and I'll probably understand more when you explain. But I think fighters are nice. I think cleric, like after getting to play cleric, I don't really have a problem with clerics. Um, whatever so fucking slow play that's just like, by the way, I completely cancel out spells because reasons. Oh, that's um. To no, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> hold on. No, please. He Good was video. the uh, totem barbarian. The ancestral no, guardian barbarian. Ancestral guardian barbarian. Um, which it, his, their whole shtick is, I'm going to hit you, and then after I hit you, you can only attack me. I mean, but I did. Hold on. I did a lot. I literally did a lot. Like, I completely was like, I'm going to kill you. And every time I hit him with anything, it's like, nope, sorry. I don't take damage from this. Just like Oh okay. gee, I wonder I wonder what that's that's like. Oh, hey, I hit you with this. You have no resistances to it. Suck it, nerd. Oh man. If only I now have no way for that to happen. And thank God. <laughs> I just want you to know, DM, you're the reason I took that feat. 
<laughs> because of what you did with him. If you had never done that, I would have never researched into that feat at all. Wait, which one did I do? <laughs> oh, the resistance the to lightning damage? Oh, yeah, well, no, Slow just being... Slow's character, the one that he was playing in our campaign that one day, just, like, being able to completely negate spells that I hit people with, and I'm just like... Well, no, I mean, I did that on purpose, though. Like, um, like with the, the Mushroom Tender fight. Zeke, I, I'm maybe talking that out of turn here, but I don't fucking care. So, Zeke came to me after that fight, and he was like, Hey, I just want to let you know I wasn't having much fun during that fight because I couldn't actually get in there and do anything, and it was really frustrating for me. I was like, I hear you, but I kind of don't care. Because oh, no, no, no. like, that, that's going to happen. It was more of a, like... Oh, no, no, no. I, I agree. Like, well, I'm me, not saying that that wasn't fun. Okay. Because this, this, is, this is sort of an overall, like, I want you guys to be aware that that is going to be an eventuality. Like, I've been going... I mean, granted, my dice um, are also aiding in this greatly, but I have been going easy on you guys so far. Like, I wanted to give you guys a taste of shit's not going to go your way and you need to think of ways around that. Like if you, if Brick cannot get into close melee range, what are you going to do about it? And he tried, he tried to use lightning lure, but she had really good rolls, which is surprising for me. Yeah. And she was able to resist him pulling her closer to get into melee combat. You've got to figure that out. Are you going to get range spells? Are you going to become more supporty? And in all fairness, it would have been a lot different if Venera had not cast Daylight. There was supposed to be a lot of mushrooms spawning around for you guys to be fighting at the same time. That was completely negated. You guys had a one on six. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that I didn't have fun during that fight. I yeah. did. It was just that specific feat was what came about. I found out in that fight that melee damage was the way to do it. But like, never would have researched into certain feats had that not happened yeah and I'm, I'm totally fine with it you are playing yeah. your class as it is meant to be am yeah. i kind of annoyed that i can no longer have lightning resistance or immunities yeah kind of but that's exactly what zon would do i'm gonna bitch about it but i'm proud of you <laughs> yeah man my lightning's not hurting them how do i do how do i get over this lightning harder <laughs> exactly if <laughs> if my unlimited power wasn't enough i'm going to unlimited power times two <laughs> so, <Limit> uh, break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, go beyond plus ultra <laughs> yes. so so yeah like i'm 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 happy that i was able to make you look into your class further and find a way to say Fuck you. I'm going to deal lightning damage, you piece of shit. Oh, yeah. Like, that was why um, I looked into weapon stuff. And we found out it didn't work. But my initial reading is when I hit a certain level as my class, whenever I deal melee damage, I also deal lightning damage. As a polearm master, you can attack and then use a bonus action to hit them with the butt of your, st your polearm. I was like... Well, I'm just double dipping at that point. I get lightning damage on the front end and lightning damage on the second end. But it literally says in the description of it when you read farther in, only when mm -hmm. you use a action to do it. So it would not work in that specific fashion. Right. Which, again, good thought. Glad we looked into it before you took it. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, really started pursuing it further. Exactly. Uh, so I know that Zeke... Zeke said that he has uh, one second. He has more to add, but he's on the phone. 
Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm back. Oh, Sorry. there you are. Back, at, back <laughs> I had an emergency. Um, what a fucking fact. What? It's it's been a rough week. Um, so the one thing I had to add it was I was thinking about I was like thinking about the different subclasses that Rogue has, and I was like, well, no, there's like Swashbuckler. That's not. And then I stopped and went, no, I shouldn't say that. That entire class's uh, shtick is running up to someone and going one v one me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that kind of defeats my point. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Which granted. It doesn't make you invulnerable. It just makes it to where a one-on-one fight is more in your favor. I I will say that rogues in D&D are a lot more strategically inclined because you do have to, like, you know, your World of Warcraft example. You literally push a button, go invisible, and then just no one can see you unless you're a hunter and you're tracking for invisible targets. In D&D, you have to strategize. You have to think, I can get behind this cover and hide, but then I have to try to get behind other cover and flank and make sure the target that I'm attacking is within uh, melee range of another player so that I get my sneak attack. Like, there's so much more to a rogue in D&D control out deleting someone than just having a one-sided fight with someone else. Yeah. And now, granted, if you were an assassin, that's a different story. But you deal a lot of upfront damage. But once that first turn of combat is over, you're kind of in trouble yep. if you don't kill them outright. Yeah. And also, it's not always a guarantee to work. There's a lot of room for error. Mm-hmm. You could have low rolls. You could have a bad attack roll. You could have low damage rolls. Um, lightning lure roll. The guy could just have a yep. fuck ton of health. What about lightning lure? You could fail lightning lure rolls. Yeah. Well, thank you, Zach. <laughs> Thanks for bringing I... it up. Uh, so, Pez, before Zeke and I completely and totally bash your class, did you have one that uh, was your least favorite? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you hate you, I, I don't hate it. It's just my least favorite. No, he hates it. He's been telling me outside of here. I, w- I do want to point out, before the before they reworked it, Artificer was my second least favorite. I just find that really ah! funny. That pets. <laughs> <laughs> but now I really like Artificer, so there's that. Y'all hate me. No, we don't. Wow. Pez is the best. He is. Pez is the glue to the party. Um, for me, my least favorite would probably be... Wizard. No pressure, take your time. Wizard, interesting. That's what Gabe said, too, when I asked him at the shoot today. They just... They didn't actually elaborate for me, but yeah. They're very stereotypical. Okay, explain. It's just, like, I've magic and fireball. 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 Your allies are close by. Fireball. (laughs) Fireball. I didn't ask how big the room is. I said fireball. What's that? um, That one little strip comic where the the guy's like, well, here comes a monster. I'm just going to cast fireball. It's like, do you have to do it every time? It's like, friends, (gasps) hugs, cast fireball, cast fireball, cast fireball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they're they're just like 
stereotypical overuse like everyone is a wizard it's just like i mean yeah you can be a cool wizard but there's other cooler classes like you could be a freaking um warlock and have like a eldritch god give you magic i don't know i've played warlock i haven't played warlock very high but i played warlock in like the fact that one of Warlock's specs is just literally just bad makes me not care for Warlocks. Okay, you're gonna Warlock have to be more is specific. Better, higher level. Uh, yeah, so Zeke, uh, Ren in the other campaign, the Plus Hex, six. I think it's Hexblade. Yes. In Endgame is literally not good. You literally cannot play a melee Warlock in Endgame, you will die. It's it's not even a matter of me being like, oh man, I can't be overpowered. It's you're gonna hit him real hard, but then they're gonna be mad that you hit him really hard, and you're not gonna be existing the next turn. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not like. Rich. Say again. I would. S oh, I was just saying that they can be a little squishy. A yeah. little. Yeah, and I would. I would say squishy. the way around that is to find ways to get in and get out. Yeah. In one uh, turn. I have mirror image. I have three turns. I mean, yeah. mirror image, misty step, but again, you're—he's he, not wrong though. Like, even with all of that, oh, no. you were taking a big fucking gamble with your yeah. like. When I say health pool, I mean like health pool versus a barbarian who has a health ocean. You have a health puddle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of those where it's what I liked about the class was I played. Was it Terra? Some game where they had a leather-wearing two-handed weapon spec. And, I'm, and as soon as I found out that Warlocks were very similar to that, I'm like, oh, I'll have a light, I'll have a class that may not be heavy armor, but it'll probably have some way to negate a lot of damage, but that's also up to rolls. And while, I mean, that's all D&D is, is rolls, when, if you fail a roll and you die, that's not fun. Oh, no. Depending on the person, it can be, though. It's that thrill that they enjoy. Yes, masochists is what you're, what you're saying. I mean, you're not wrong, but I mean, it's the same thing with the, the assassin rogues, like I was saying before. Some people, they like that thrill of trying to get in there and kill before they have a chance, and if they don't, well, now it's time to think really quick about how the fuck not to die. <laughs> I cast exterminatus. How do you feel about sorcerers, though, Pez, since they're kind of fish-similar? Sorcerers are okay, because at least with a sorcerer, you can actually do more than just cast fireball that's fair i i played a sorcerer quite a lot and fireball was still a staple yeah so Which, i do have a question about wizards mm -hmm. um because i've never played one i usually play casters but for some reason wizard just hasn't really caught my eye yet but from what I have read, so their primary source for their magic is their book, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. And that's what they use to cast their spells. Yes. Right. So if someone were to steal the book, would that take away their ability to cast those spells? Correct. It, it would take away their ability to cast the predominant amount of their spells, but not all of them. So they would still have whatever they prepared that day. Yeah. Okay. So the way that wizards work and what makes them quote unquote unique compared to like sorcerers and warlocks is they're like clerics. They can clerics and druids. They can prepare whatever spells they want after a long rest. So let's say that you have 
Fireball, Tangling Vines, and Sanctuary, just because I, I, those are the first three I can think of. And someone steals your book. Well, you're stuck with those spells because the way that wizards work is they... Sorcerers are like inherently great casters. Wizards mm -hmm. are memorization. They memorize yeah. the fuck out of shit. So, whereas with other classes, like clerics can only take cleric spells. Wizards or sorcerers can only take sorcerer spells. If a wizard finds a spell on a scroll and they take the time and the materials to inscribe that spell into their book, they can now cast that spell once they prepare it. So I do have a I do have a question. So if wizards are about memorization, how come if they lose their book, they can't use any of the other spells? Would that mean because, the opposite of memorization? Well, because it, it's, it's the same sort of thing as like with uh, normal human beings can remember plus, can remember, what is it, like seven numbers plus or minus two. So a phone number is a perfect example. Phone numbers are very easy to remember. They're about seven numbers. But once you get higher than that, it starts to be like, well, I think it was like 901 whatever, but it might have been 853. So the idea is that the night before, the wizard thinks about the spells that he wants and he memorizes those like 12 spells. And those are the ones that are in his brain. And like, that's a lot of shit to memorize for a 24-hour period. And the idea is that if you want to memorize another spell the next day, you have to take the time to study it and decide which one you're going to forget about for the time being. If you lose your book, well, it's like, fuck, I better not forget these 12 spells because that's all I got until I get my book back. So it is a very, very, very big thing about wizards is protect your fucking book. Mm -hmm. That's one of my issues with them is that book is life. Without book, I'm dumb. Right. Yeah, like I, I like the way Nim thinks. Oh no, I don't have my nerd book. I don't know anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's always been my concern with that. Is you know, sorcerers they were born with the magic. They had that magical mm -hmm. ability. So it's stuff that they've been able to do for years without having to reference a book. Of our wizards, they're they're going off of stuff, a bunch of stuff they wrote down in a book. But and. You know. But a sorcerer, once they pick a spell, they're kind of stuck with that spell forever. Yeah. And that that's yeah. that's the thing. There's a risk and reward to being a wizard. Yeah. So yeah, they I'm do like... get a greater pool of magic to choose from, but you know, aesthetically, I think sorcerers are way better. Well, and, and, and also, a, go ahead. A, a wizard could like learn the wish spell, write that down in his book, and have wish permanently. Granted, it's a level nine, or it's a ninth level spell, but... Oh no, you know, I lost wish. my book. I sure wish I had it back. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, also, there's also, yeah, uh, it's, if you're a wizard, you're like, okay, here's my main book. I can spend this much money to make an entire copy and put it in a safe place. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, there, there are spells out there that are basically, like, pocket storage dimensions, so if you get to the higher levels and get access to that spell, then that's just where you keep your second book and you always have that spell on you at all times. It's like, oh no, I just got drop kicked into lava and my book burnt up. Yoink. 
Let me just learn some healing spells real quick. Heal the book. <laughs> so yeah, again, from, from my understanding, even though that is a potential risk, the amount of times that that's actually been a problem is like super, super, super minimal. Because again, yeah. you're also kind of considered that the wizard knows that this is their life source. It's like fucking waterproof. It's fire retardant. So, it's it's sort of an understood, and is, is I I would say protector. it's very it's a pocket protector. I would say that it's very 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 rarely an explored feature of a wizard losing their book unless they piss off the DM. So okay, yeah. so I do have a question. Uh, I, so if okay. somebody else uh -huh. were to steal the book that was a caster. Mm -hmm. Oh, now would a wizard use or them? just a caster? Let's just say, for example, since I play a cleric, let's just say a cleric stole this. A no. cleric who's uh, no. no. Why? Because that's not you the... try reading chicken strat chicken because chicken scratch. It's 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 also sort of an understood that the wizard is writing it in their own like coded shorthand. Now another wizard, I would argue, could theoretically decipher it and copy it into their book, but a cleric, that is not how theirs works. That's not how a cleric spells work. You are given your spells by your deity. When a cleric oh. wants to choose what spells they take the next day, they're essentially like communing with their deity and saying like, okay, remind me how to uh, invoke your holiness to cast this spell. And those are the ones that you remember for the day is essentially oh. how that works. The point that I'll bring up in this is while I agree and I understand why you say that, but if a wizard can copy a spell that they pick up into their book word for word, technically... They, but they are copying it in in their method. So it's it's essentially if you as a cleric opened up a wizard spell book, you'd be like, yeah, that's that's a spell. That's a spell, all right. Wouldn't fucking make uh -huh. any sense to you. It's one of those where. I have a feeling, even like you said before, it's one of those situations that never really comes up, but depending on the person or the DM, it could technically be a thing. It could be a thing that exists. I will say there is precedent for it, because like all spell lists have overlap. There mm -hmm. are some spells that cleric that everyone can cast, or at least a large majority can cast. Uh, and so there's precedent for, say, you, you have a cleric that steals a wizard's book, and it happens to have a spell that both of them have on their spell list. They can technically treat it, if the DM's okay with it, tra uh, treat it like a spell scroll, in which they can use that page, if they decipher it, to cast the spell once, but then the page gets burnt up. Exactly. But that's what I mean. I'm not saying that I would ever do this because I enjoy the spells that I have, but I'm yeah. just saying that... Technically, if they don't, if they just copy something word for word, and again, you, I know that you guys are saying, well, it's implied that they do it in their own. Well, some people are very meticulous and don't put things down in crazy. They put it down so it is completely and totally legible. By that logic, yeah. the same way, it, like you'd be able to well, cast any spell in that book. Once. It would be far more likely for, say, a sorcerer or a bard to steal a wizard's book because they are far more likely to have oh, the sorry. same steel is just similar a, spells. Steel is just more along the lines of, like, they just happen to come across it. Yeah, well, I, know, I, mean, I know what you're saying. Regardless of how they come into contact with the book, 
my argument would still be that, like, yeah, you could probably find if they have spells of your class in there, but if you say that you, like, thumb through the pages and you find Fireball, no, I would not, I, I have to disagree with Zeke on this, is that no, I would not say that you could cast that, because it is a, it's a method and a language that is not wholly familiar to you. And the reason that I say no, it's not like a spell scroll is because I believe when they copy it to their book, they're essentially leaving that out. Because a spell scroll can literally be cast by anybody that picks it up. You could as have a barbarian. Spell a, spell nope. a spell scroll? I am reading it right now. A spell scroll spell uh, bears the words of a single spell written in a mystical cipher. If the spell is on your spell cast, uh, your if the spell is on your classes spell list you can read the scroll and cast the spell without providing any material components otherwise the scroll is unintelligible there you go i they i wonder if they changed that recently or am i just dumb because i could swear that you used to be able to use a spell scroll no matter what so what i'm hearing now is so steel now i remember now. <laughs> sorry let me rephrase i remember that you could cast it no matter what but there would be disadvantages to doing so if it wasn't in your list if it, uh, you're thinking of if it's a higher level than you can technically cast, then you have to make a spell check. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Or I could have been looking at like a th like 3.5 version of it. I don't fucking know. Maybe. It's been a while. So what I'm hearing is I need to spell, steal a wizard book now. But honestly, it would, it would there again, for, yeah. if it's within your wheelhouse and you see it, you can cast it. But if it's not, it's unintelligible. You don't yep. understand it. Yeah. But it doesn't also, that means I can cast spells that I don't have prepared. <laughs> I mean, honestly, for a cleric or a druid, it doesn't really make sense because you have access to all your spells all the time. You just have to prepare them that day. Yes. Same as a wizard. Yes. The beauty but of what a if wizard... I to... Well, the beauty of a wizard is that he can write down spells in his spell book that aren't wizard spells. Yes. Well, no. Can they not? Nope. I could have sworn it, has could. To be, it still has to be a wizard spell, so I can't cast it. Hmm. Well, you shouldn't have said that. I would have let it go. <laughs> anyway, Wait, the just... only cool thing I like about wizards is they can get, like, little tiny familiars and pseudo dragons are one of them. I honestly thought you were going to say they're pointy hats, but that's cool, too. I have a pointy yeah. hat, they're cool, too. I really don't want to burst your bubble, but I'm pretty sure the only class that can get a pseudo-dragon unless you get a special exception is warlocks. Well, you're a penis, so... <laughs> <laughs> Even will... more reason to not like the wizard. <laughs> I will say this, uh, in the sorcerer versus wizard debate, since they have a lot of the same traits and spells, uh, sorcerer can only have a maximum of 15 spells in total. That is the maximum amount of spells they get. Um, just by leveling up and without finding and adding anything to a wizard's spell book uh, through the world, uh, wizards get a minimum of 21 spells. And that's their minimum. BM? Huh? Brick's Toast has words on it. <laughs> <laughs> if you can read this. <laughs> I'm sitting here, it's popping up down like that. Really <laughs> yes, what now what does it, does it say? say? If you can read this. 
<laughs> You're too close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here like... I'm sitting here still says words on it. So who first noticed? Who first noticed that? Please tell me. Well, me. I just had. We were in here before the stream started. I was like, you know, Zeke, I could put something on your toast if you want. He's like, let me think on it. And I was like, I got something for the meantime. And I was like, if you can read this, you're too close. And he laughed, so I did it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I might change it. I might request to change it later. Uh, <clears throat> but for now, it's perfect. Um, I will say another point in the wizard's favor, just for me, is a lot of. Uh, like their specialty is they can really go into one school of magic or at least that's what most of their subclasses are so they're really good at casting one type of uh one school of magic yeah fireball um <laughs> fireball um the school of fireball yeah the school of fireball. <laughs> well going off of that yeah evocation like um oh that kind of spell it's like i thought you just meant like element no, 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 like, no. there is literally a school of evocation. That is one of their uh, subclasses. And if you cast an evocation spell that affects other creatures you can see, uh, you can choose a number of them equal to one plus the spell's level. Uh, the chosen creatures automatically succeed on their saving throw against the spell. They take no damage. So it's very similar to a, uh, to a sorcerer's uh, safe spell. So they do have some pretty cool uh, effects they can put on their specialty of school. All right, so I do kind of see Nim's off. point on it and being that they are kind of basic bitch. Mm -hmm. They're very specialized. Yeah. I mean, you could technically say the same thing about a lot of classes, though. You can. Yeah. It's all about how you use them. Yep. All right, so we've gotten enough niceties out of this. Back to the hatred. All right, fair enough. <laughs> oh, boy. Is, is, it, is it? Oh, I, I was waiting on Zach. I thought he had more. I was waiting for the hatred. <laughs> I mean, I can, but they're not D and D classes. I mean, if we want to oh. talk about classes, <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's fucking let's, list. <laughs> let's oh, try hey, to keep look, it D and D. Demon hunters from World of Warcraft. Oh, hey, look! I can double jump and dash all over the place because I have no fucking penis at all. Why do I need to be like every other class? Or I can be a monk and roll everywhere because why should I have mobility like everybody else in the game? I play Demon Hunter. <laughs> yes, I'm aware. I'm very well aware. Why do you say that? I wasn't any good. Hmm. Yes, but if you were... <laughs> the physical you of another universe that's actually good at playing this damn game pisses me off. I anyway, but if you got good at this game, you piss me off because fuck those assholes. <laughs> Alrighty, back to Dean. Uh, so Zeke, I think I have a lot more notes than you do about Ranger. So do you want to go first? Sure, I will go hey. first on why Rangers are the most annoying <laughs> class in D and D. Um, I'm sorry, buddy, <laughs> but you're about to get a face full of truth. It's okay. Um, you assume he got it earlier. It's fine. Oh. I just realized uh, sure. What I, said. I guess I guess you could say that if that's what you were intending, then yeah, sure. No, it wasn't intentional. It was just the fact that I said you got a face full. <laughs> 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 kind of threw me off there really hard. But no, please. Nothing continue. you said offended me. Move on. Okay. <laughs> so, first and foremost, every class has something they are known for. Paladins are known for smite. Rogues are known for sneaking. Clerics are known for healing. Fighters are known for bonking. 
every class has something has that one central ability that their entire class is built on and it's what they're known for and it's and it's good all around because it's used in multiple situations ranger has favored enemy which is bullshit yeah it is bullshit because it is a favorite enemy now if you if your dm wants to keep what's going on in your campaign a secret or doesn't want to give stuff away, you have no idea what to choose. You could choose the exact wrong thing and be, and your main uh, ability is useless throughout the entire campaign, and it pisses me off. Now, oh, someone so wait, might what say, is, "Hold on a second here. Yeah, what is preferred? Explain what is preferred this? or favored uh, enemy for right. those who don't know." Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Beginning You're angry. I understand. Level. Beginning at first level. You have significant experience in studying, tracking, hunting, and even talking to a certain type of enemy. You can choose a type of favorite enemy, I'm which gonna be right is back while he rants. Okay, uh, which is the list of basically every type of enemy you can uh, go after in D and D: the aberrations, beasts, celestials, constructs, dragons, whatever category that something falls into. That is your favorite enemy. Alternatively, you can select. Two races of humanoids, such as gnolls or orcs, as favorite enemies, because if you chose humanoid, granted, that would be just about everything. And it, it doesn't make sense. So, I'll give oh, them that one. So, what about just human? So, yeah, you can choose uh, human. And you will be good against every human. And I have an argument for that in a moment. Okay. Um, you have advantage on wisdom survival checks to track your favorite enemies, as well as on intelligence checks to recall information about them. You gain this feature. You also learn one language of your choice that is spoken by your favorite enemies, if they speak one at all. And you choose one additional favorite enemy, as well as the associated language at 6th and 14th level. So you have up to three favorite enemies. Okay. Um, as you gain levels, your choices should reflect the types of monsters you have encountered on your adventures. Uh, to go one step further... You also have a speciality in terrain. Once again, if you don't know where the campaign is going, it's a shot in the dark. Uh, or you pick something you're super fucking generic. Exactly. That's my main argument against all of this. Uh, you... I did. The what? I picked something generic. Well, no, you picked a desert, which is where you're from. It made sense. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, you are particularly familiar with one type of natural environment and are adept at traveling and survival in the regions. You have all these regions to choose from, like Arctic, coast, desert, forest, grassland, blah, 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 blah. And you get a lot of benefits uh, when you are in those areas. And I, I have um, those in my notes, so we'll cover them when it's my turn. <laughs> yes. So, for these two abilities that you get at level one, which usually is the thing that your entire class is based off of, it's super fucking stupid. Uh, because a smart person would go, okay, so there's a large chance that I can make a super specific reason for going after aberrations or dragons or elementals. I could tie that into my backstory. It's like, oh yeah, my parents were killed by an elemental or something. And then you get to the t and you get to the table, and the DM's like, oh yeah, this this uh, this campaign has nothing to do with elementals, but we'll work it into your backstory arc so it'll come in handy at least once. Um, so a smart person would go, well, I'll choose beasts. Because every campaign has uh, beast enemies to fight. Wolves, dinosaurs, whatever. Every campaign has it. Or, alternatively, like Zach said, you could choose two humanoid races. And it makes sense if you would choose elves or dwarves or humans. Because those are the most common enemies you might come across. 
again, it's you have a choice between being unique and awesome and probably useless for a large part of the campaign or being very generic and bland and boring but useful and it sucks it just Basic sucks bitch. yes <laughs> uh, i'm sorry pez ben. pez do you want to share what your preferred enemies are or do you want to keep that a secret i i mean i can't oh i died uh <laughs> he got killed someone's by his preferred playing, enemy someone's playing um, battlefront no i'm i'm playing warframe um uh, my you don't favorite have to. enemy we already faced one of them. I would orcs. say I have a good it's guess. Orcs. Pez. It's orcs, what, isn't it? What, what is it? Orcs. I have, I'm guessing it's orcs and no yeah. orcs. I knew it. I knew that was the reason you didn't want to go to the fucking orc area. I fucking yeah. knew it. it. It's it's orcs. I don't. Did I select a second one? Am I at that level where I can? You get two level eight? humanoid races off the bat if you picked humanoid. Oh, humanoid. Yeah. Did I... Yeah. Do that properly. And I don't. I don't even know if you took full advantage of that in the last fight at Sterling Pool or not. Because I mean, I it's like I'm so conflicted as a DM because on the one hand I understand that these rules exist, but you're also level eight, so I no longer feel obligated to remind you of your own rules. And if you forget, then you, you miss out. Yeah. Yeah. And I highly encourage you, especially after looking at some of these. Uh, races and stuff for Whiskey Wednesdays, like, I highly encourage you guys to make sure that you are reading what you have when you level up. Because there's some shit that you guys aren't doing. Maybe. Apparently, I, I for me, all of you, beasts I... and humanoids. Or... Uh, that, well, you, you are level eight, so you would have your second by now. I do. Oh, Should. but I, I'm level six ranger, level two. Oh, officer. that's right. Oh, that's yeah. Right. So yeah, He's you would have your, you would, ha yeah, but you you would have your <clears throat> second uh, enemy by now. But you should, if you picked a humanoid, uh, you should still have two humanoid races that you are good against. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm looking, through, I'm looking through stuff here, and I don't really see anything that I've been missing. So okay, well, maybe not all of you, but <clears throat> at, as a majority. Some of you are really missing some shit. Oh, metal, metal. Oh, so metal. I I know that um, Seek went on a tangent about hunters, and I know that Ian is about to. Um, mm -hmm. let, let me add my two cents. Sure. Uh oh. About Gosh, rangers. Me. Um, so they're really my least favorite. I'm not like an expert on them in any way, but I have noticed playing with other hunters that there's just not a lot to them when it comes to contributing in like combat especially combat um but even like their ranger features when it comes to tracking those features are also in blood hunter mm -hmm. which i know blood hunter is not like an official dnd race it's more of a critical role race but when i compare you know if i want something that's one of characters really good at tracking a certain type of creature or monster mm -hmm. but i want them to also be able to hit a blood hunter is like a ranger slash blood mage slash uh <clears throat> melee fighter slash lichen slash <laughs> right. yeah, i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and interject in here saying that yes that does suck but at the same time you literally have cleric sorcerers and 
wizards, all of which can pull from the same pools of things and all have stuff that's very similar. Like, just because you have one class that might do it better doesn't necessarily mean that Ranger isn't good. Right. Especially when it's not I'm I'm going to touch on touch more on a lot of what everyone has said and like i said i have four pages of notes like we're gonna be here a minute <laughs> listen, right. Pez. No, 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 wait a minute listen Pez. this is why you should be playing this class no no no, no. no. And I'm, I'm gonna be i'm gonna be honest there's some shit in here that i either forgot about or didn't know beforehand that's actually in the rangers favor when i i don't hate rangers they are my least favorite yeah and I, I want to point out, one, I'm not done. And two, I am not against rank people playing rangers. If you want to play a ranger, go for it. I'm just saying I am mad for you because you got gypped when it comes to the foundation of the class itself. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the good things I have to say about this class is that the spells do pull a lot of weight. Uh, <laughs> you get... You get some mm -hmm. really nice, especially if you're using a bow and arrow. That is also sometimes a con because, again, rangers, the way it's built is like, oh, you could be two-handed or uh, you can use two blades or something. It's like, no, a lot of the spells are made for bow and arrow. So if you want to play a bow and arrow ranger, you're great. Um, yeah, a lot say of the at spells... a distance. What? You, you, your spells are mainly meant to keep them at a distance away from you. Yes. Yeah, the, a lot of the ranger's uh, spells, which only a ranger gets, I think, uh, a lot for a lot of them, are really good at buffing your uh, ranged attacks. Um, and I'll, I'll also say, a lot of the subclasses are really freaking good. Um, mm -hmm. They have some amazing abilities uh, that come in real handy. And you were you were talking about um, some of them aren't great at the uh, the combat. Monster Slayer and Hunter and that uh, is even what that they're not good at combat. Like the yeah. the subclasses are honestly what make Rangers kind of badass. Yes. Um. And so yeah, the subclasses are great. And so I will end my little rant here uh, and let you take over by saying uh, you shouldn't critique something unless you have a solution. And my solution to this is that one, you make it more like a uh, sorcerer or some of the other classes where you start at level one with the subclass and the class itself uh, just has some interspersed um, abilities. Granted, it's a, it's, it is a melee or not melee, it is a um, martial main class. So that probably wouldn't work as well because it, it just it's not common for martial classes to make their subclass their main thing so i would say i just need a rework of that initial ability maybe give it some sort of technique like it, they can do trick shots or give them something because like the fighter has uh axon surge which is their bread and butter like everything has their bread and butter and it just rangers is either so bland or so specific it never happens and it pisses me off okay i'm done okay but hamburger but hamburger so also, i'm sorry Fez, beastmaster is one of the most underpowered subclasses i know my turn yep yeah. cool so uh ranger they are a great intro class 
<laughs> because you get a great taste of spell casting, ranged combat, melee combat, and companion control, which is kind of what every other class in the game specializes in. The one thing that, and again, I'm, I, I already mentioned this before when I was talking about um, the Yuan-T, but I hate that the ranger literally has one of their, like, section titles, uh, Independent Adventurers. Because one, I hate lone wolf characters because they're never done right. And two, this kind of leads into my next thing that I'm going to talk about, is they are a jack-of-all-trades. They are... As independent adventurers, the whole lore behind them is they're used to being alone, out in the wilderness defending civilization from the oncoming threat of monsters, orcs, and blah, 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 blah. So therefore, they got to be good at hunting, eating, surviving, tracking, fighting. But they never get to be really fucking good at something. The only thing that they're really fucking good at is tracking. And even then, they're limited. So my next one was Jack-of-all-trades, Master of None. They are excellent trackers, and they can be really useful in that aspect of the game. It's it's still a skill check in most cases. Like, you still have to do a survival check or whatnot. But then you look at, like, spellcasters, who they can eventually get, like, locate creature or locate item spells. And they literally get a fixed location without the need of a skill check. So... It's like, hey, you're really good at tracking, but you're, like, trying to track this one creature, and the wizard goes, oh, yeah, he's over there behind that rock. I got a little blip on my magic radar. It's like, okay, well, then what the fuck am I doing here? Um, and again, these are... I have four bullet points of the negatives. We reach into the subclasses, and we start getting into positives. So, Pez, bear with me. I promise it gets better for you. Um, right. So, again, admittedly, they are... Pretty fucking good to have in a party in certain situations. Kind of like what Zeke was saying. But within their favored terrain. And again, Pez, that's where you are really fucking gypped. Because you were great for the Untamed West. Yeah. But we're about to leave the Untamed West. And you I will... have a jar of sand. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm gonna charm, dude. Uh, DM pours out bottle of sand stands on it. I'm in my favorite terrain. <laughs> <laughs> that is not how that works. Funny, but no. Uh, but <laughs> while you were in your favorite terrain, you get natural explorer, which gives the party party wide buffs. Difficult terrain no longer slows your travel. You cannot become lost except by magical means. You can find twice as much food while foraging. And when tracking creatures, you also learn their exact number, the size of the creatures, and how long ago they passed through. You were literally unparalleled in your domain. The downside, as Zeke already touched on, is there's a lot of fucking terrain types. And you may only be in your preferred terrain once or twice. But then again, you, as Zeke said, you could spend your entire campaign in your terrain. Uh, you get de decent stealth options at later levels and better movement capabilities, but otherwise, like, your main focuses are super fucking hindered by the class itself. So, moving from all those negatives, we're going to move on to some 
positives, which are the Super subclasses. Super negatives. Boring negatives. Um, I didn't touch on Beastmaster too off or too much because, as awesome as it is, I do kind of agree with Zeke is that it's probably the weakest subclass. Yeah, it's um, pretty lame. Hamburger's kind of useless. <laughs> that's bullshit. <laughs> Hamburger's a god, and yeah. I'm going to make him fucking say. ascend by the end of this goddamn campaign. <laughs> Hamburger has had a lot of kills. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had more kills than me. <laughs> I, I, I have I have one question for the DM. Uh -huh. DM, is it a action? Did you rule an action or a bonus action to control Hamburger? I said no action. Hamburger no action. literally takes his turn after Pez. Period. Okay. The because reason... that that shit about action and bonus action to command your pet, is fucking dumb. As a beastmaster, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking dumb. Exactly. Rules as written, it takes an entire action to command your uh, your pet. So you're basically puppeting, puppeting them and you don't do anything, Yeah, which is stupid. At, at later it's levels, you can least. do it as a bonus action. That's still yeah, but fucking stupid. Even at the <laughs> even at the later level when you get that bonus action feature, you can't even you can't use the attack action. You can only use dash, disengage or help. Right. As a bonus action. It's fucking retarded. So I completely ignored it and say hamburger goes after. And you know what? We now have a god in the campaign. Yeah. yeah. It makes it it makes a ton more sense to at least make it a bonus action for everything right off the bat. Hashtag ascend hamburger. Let's get it going. <laughs> so Pipe dream. um this is something that I completely and totally fucking missed. And Pez, I am so fucking sorry. Uh this book came out after we started. But there's a new subclass for Ranger. And it is called the Drake Warden. So, the Drake Warden, essentially, uh, the idea behind it is that you either studied or was or you were gifted something by a dragon that you thought was a geode, but then it hatches into a dragon. And you were able to physically manifest the spirit of a dragon as a companion. This dragon gets better... As you level up. So, Unlike the Beastmaster. Initially, uh, the Drake remains... You, you were able to summon the Drake, and the Drake remains until it is reduced to zero hit points until you use this feature to summon the Drake again, which, by the way, when you summon the Drake, you get to pick which element it belongs to or until you die. Uh, anything the Drake was wearing or carrying is left behind when the Drake vanishes. Once you summon the Drake, you cannot do so again until you finish a long rest, until you expend a spell slot of first level or higher to summon it, summon it again. The interesting thing is that it doesn't say anything about dismissing it. So I'm led to believe that the dragon only is around until you summon another one of like a different element, or if it dies. So, at 11th level, you gain a breath attack that you can use as an action. Or, have your dragon pet do so, and it recharges on a long rest. At 15th level, you can give yourself or the dragon resistance to the damage type it's receiving so long as you're within 30 feet of each other. You can use this reaction up to your proficiency number, and it resets at a long rest. At 1st level, your dragon is considered um, small. Uh, let me actually check real quick, because I don't remember what the next level is. Uh, so, sorry, third level. Um, da -da -da -da. It is a small dragon. At seventh level, you get Bond of Fang and Scale. Uh, 
The bond with your drake intensifies, protecting you and stoking the drake's fury. When you summon your drake, it grows wings on its back and gains a flying speed equal to its walking speed. In addition, while your drake is summoned, you and the drake grant, uh, gain the following benefits. Drake mount. The drake grows to medium size, reflecting your special bond. You can use the drake as a mount if your size is medium or smaller. When you are riding the drake, you cannot use the flying speed of this feature. Mag Magic Fang. The drake's bite attack deals an extra 1d6 damage of the type chosen for the drake's draconic essence. And you have resistance to the damage type chosen of the draconic, uh, draconic essence. So, when you reach 15th level, you reach what's called Perfected Bond. Your bond to your drake reaches the pinnacle of its power. When your drake is summoned, you and the drake gain the, the following benefits. The drake's bite attack deals an extra 1d6 damage of the type chosen, to a total of 2d6 extra damage. The drake becomes large. You, when you ride your drake, it is no longer prohibited from using the flying speed. You also have reflexive resistance. When either you or the drake takes damage while you're in 30 feet of each other, you can use your reaction... Oh, I think I read that already. But the fact that your dragon gets bigger and that eventually you can fucking ride it as it's flying through the air? Like, holy fuck, that's awesome! Yep. Enemy see, Pez is very quiet right now because he's like, I hate you for telling me that. <laughs> no, I know, and I'm so mad that this wasn't a thing when Pez was first being becoming Pez. Because this book only came out... Um, When did the dragon thing come out, Zeke? Do you remember? Uh, let's see. Fisman's Treasury. Hmm. It came out... October 26th of 2021. So we were already a decent ways into the campaign when that became a thing. Yeah. <sighs> I'm so mad because I, I'm like 90% certain that that's what Pez would have gone with. Yeah, he, he's muted right now. Oh, he is? Oh, unfortunate. Uh, well, I don't know how much of that he's heard. That or he's raging so hard he muted so we can't hear it. He's crying. <laughs> Uh, so, gonna go on and touch on some of the other specifics of the class, since we're here and we're learning. You've got uh, the Fey Wanderer. Gives you a lot of mobility spells. You also deal extra psychic damage with your weapon strikes. When you make a charisma check, you can add your wisdom, mo wisdom modifier to that roll as well. So, if you have, like, proficiency in it, then you get your charisma, proficiency, and you add your wisdom modifier. You would also gain proficiency in deception, performance, and persuasion. You get advantage against being charmed or frightened. That's pretty useful throughout a majority of the game. Here's an interesting one, and it was a bit long-winded, and I tried to kind of uh, tried to kind of condense it a little bit. So, you can force a creature within 120 feet of you to make a check to become charmed or frightened. If another creature within 120 feet succeeds in a save against the effect. So, let's say that Pez is bit bop boopity bopping around with Hamburger and Kirsten casts Charm. If that creature successfully passes the Charm spell, Pez can basically go, Hey, he passed, you over there. You're now charmed or frightened. Make a save. And 
then they become Charmed or Frightened, depending on which one you want to do. And the spell does not specify that you have to be the one casting the spell, because it uses your reaction. So it's literally like, well, that guy failed. How about you? Are you Charmed or Frightened? Cool. Dope. Fight him. I mean... Oh. It's a very weirdly worded ability, but... Okay, if, sorry, I'm I'm back. What, what happened? What did I miss? Oh, uh, no. All of my ranting and raving about the Drake Drake Warden. <laughs> how, how much did you hear or how much did you miss? I had a slight emergency to deal with, but uh, I didn't hear much of it. So, uh, TLDR... You get a dragon as a pet uh, at third level. It starts out as small. When you get to 11th level, it becomes medium, and it has wings. You can ride it, uh, but you cannot fly while riding it. It can fly when you're not riding it. And you also get a breath attack that either you can use or you can make the drake use based on the element of the drake. When you reach 15th level, the drake becomes large, and you can then ride it, and it can fly while you are riding it. That's like the super uh, TLDR. I mean, it's cool. That's what I was going to do, but seeing that I had the opportunity to have a dinosaur as a pet, I went with that. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, that, that was that was it. Like, I'm 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 mad that that wasn't even an option for you because that sounds so pez. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we just touched really quickly, or we're touching really quickly on the Fey Wanderer so far. Um, so they get uh, they get to use the Summon Fey spell. Uh, when you start casting, because normally the, the Fey spell is it lasts for an hour and it's concentration. However, with this particular subclass, whenever you start casting the spell, you can modify it so that it does not require concentration. But in so doing, it only lasts for a minute instead of an hour. Uh, you also gain the Misty Step spell, uh, but there's a little bit of a mo Ooh, excuse me. There's a bit of a modification to it in that normally with Misty Step, you just sort of bamf away 30 feet. With uh, this alteration, you can take one willing creature with you, which if you're using Misty Step, uh, you do not get an attack of opportunity because it's instantaneous. You're just poof, poof, they're gone. Took a drink till wet. My whistle. Uh, next up, we have the Horizon Walker. It's uh, sort of similar to Misty Step. Um, not not Misty Step. It's sort of similar to the Fey Walker, except instead of existing around the Fey Wild, you travel through the uh, Ethereal Plane. The one main thing that's kind of badass which is it's almost a shame that it's at such a high level it's at 17th level but you get access to the teleportation circle spell as a ranger which again yeah. that's really 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 late game but that's still kind of cool you also get access to the uh etherealness spell you essentially turn that's into a ghost word. Yeah, etherealness. You you literally you step into the ethereal plane, 
Objects do not hinder your movement unless they exist in the ethereal plane. You can still hear people. They can't hear or see you unless they have a way of seeing into the ethereal realm. Pez could literally just be, you could all be sitting around a campfire and say, man, we really got to know what they're saying in that back room. And Pez just goes, okay, poof. And then he just fucking walks through the wall and just like sits on someone's head. Because you can move up and down, left, right, any angle. If you move up or down, it's like double your movement. But you could literally just like pop a squat on some dude's head and just listen in on the conversation. And then when they're done, you just walk back through the wall, poof back into the material realm you're like yeah they're gonna go kill the senator and they would have no idea that you're fucking there yeah it's it's fucking wild um when you attack you can teleport up to 10 feet before each attack to an unoccupied space you can see if you attack at least two different creatures with the action you can make one additional attack with it against a third creature so you literally just get to Bamf around stabbing people. Um, you can use your reaction to give yourself resistance to the current damage being dealt to you. Uh, Lore-wise, you're basically piggy-dipping into the ethereal plane to avoid some of the damage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... That's just a really fucking cool option. Um, you've got Gloomstalker. They, they're kind of all about fighting in the dark, so... That's again like you got a really cool subclass, but it's still sort of very specific. If you're not in the dark, you don't really get these, you don't get a lot of the benefits. Um, you do get to add your wisdom modifier to your initiative rolls, as well as your dexterity and your proficiency modifier. At the start of your first turn, you get an extra 10 feet to your movement. This is only on your first turn. If you take the attack action on that first turn, you can make one additional weapon attack as part of that action. If that attack hits, the target takes an additional 1d8 damage of the weapon's type. So it's all about like getting the ambush and getting in there first and dealing a whole lot of damage up front. Um, you get dark vision as a gloom stalker. If your race already has dark vision, like in Pez's case, who starts out with 60 feet of dark vision, you increase it by 30 feet. So he would have 90 feet of dark vision. Um, while in darkness, you are in you were considered invisible to any creature that relies on dark vision to see you in that darkness. So if you guys are in a nighttime scenario and Kasumi has night vision, Pez, you basically vanish from her sight. Period. Hmm. Uh, you have proficiency with wisdom saving throws. If you already had proficiency in wisdom, you can choose to have it in uh, intelligence or charisma. If you miss with an attack, you can make another as part of the same action. The idea is that you're so proficient with your weapons that you miss and you immediately come back with a backswing to try and hit them anyway. Um, if a creature attacks you and does not have advantage... You can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on the attack rolls. You must use this feature before you know the roll outcome. So basically, big burly troll dude comes up on Pez and goes, I'm going to attack you. And he says, does he have advantage? No? Cool. He now has disadvantage. I'm in the shadows. Spooky. (laughs) Spooky. Spooky. 
Uh, moving on to Hunter. Hunter has a lot of options. They have a lot of customiz uh, customizability, but it's also kind of like you get options at 3rd level, 7th level, 11th level, and 15th, but you have to pick one of them, or one of the three for each of those levels. So at 3rd level, you have the choices of dealing extra damage, you can re use a reaction to hit back if an enemy misses, so if an enemy swings at you and they miss, you go, ha, boink, and stab him in the eye. Um, you can attack another target within five feet of your original target. So if you're ganged up on by two people and you make an attack on one guy, you basically just get a free attack on the guy standing right beside him. Hmm. At seventh level, uh, oppor all opportunity attacks have disadvantage on you. Or if a creature hits you, this one's kind of dope. Kasuma, you would probably love this one. If a creature hits you, you get a plus four to your AC against subsequent attacks made by that creature for the rest of its turn. So if a, cre <laughs> a creature runs up to you with multi-attack and hits you with one of them, you're now just like, oh, well now I have skintanium armor, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, or the third option is you have advantage on uh, saving throws against being frightened, which, meh. I would take the four to your AC, personally. Um, at 11th level, uh, this one's actually really fucking dope. You make a ranged attack that can hit any creature within 10 feet of a point you can see in your weapon's range. You must have ammo for each target that's hit, and you make separate attack rolls for each target. But whereas a normal ranger, you get one bow attack, you essentially just... Pick a spot on the map, and anyone within 10 feet of that, you get to attack for your one action. It could be, what's that? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. It could be 9 total creatures with one attack. That's a lot of damage. That's fucking bonkers. <laughs> now, granted, yep. you still have to roll to see if you hit for all 9 of them, but that's 9 fucking attacks. Uh, or... The alternative is the melee version of that. You can use a single attack action to attack every creature within five feet of you. And each attack has a separate role. So if you're used to getting surrounded, and you just go, ah! You can't see me, but I'm swinging my arms over my head like a fucking lunatic. Then you basically get to just hit everybody. Oh no, I am surrounded. Whatever shall I do? He says sarcastically <laughs> with a grin on his face. <laughs> Um, 15th level, Kirsten, sorry, but these particular rangers get to touch a little bit, uh, uh they get to piggy dip a bit into the rogue, uh, archetype. Piggy dipping. The, the first option is dexterity saving throws on success. You take no damage and half on a failure. Second option. If a creature misses you with a melee attack, you can use your reaction to make it attack another creature other than itself. It doesn't really specify how far away, but I'm assuming that with the melee attack, it means within reach of itself. So yeah. the way that it sounds is that basically the creature goes to attack you, you dodge, and you make it hit its compatriot. Yeah, or... That typical, like, like the duck and dodge maneuver where someone tried to punch you, you duck, and they punch their friend in the face. Right. Uh, uh, a Jackie Chan. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the other... 
the third option for 15th level is you get you you basically get uncanny dodge uh, you use your reaction to have the damage dealt when hit with an attack i mean so with with as far as hunter's concerned you could really customize your character to kind of be a badass depending on what sort of combat you're wanting to do as a ranger if you want to go melee or ranged Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, we only have two more and then I'm done we've got monster hunter or sorry monster slayer uh, gives you a lot of bonuses to sort of a single target of your choosing during combat uh, you can use your action to determine a creature's resistance immunities and vulnerabilities which is I mean you know you're losing out on a turn of dealing damage but if you can then look at a creature and go, hey, that fucker's weak to radiant damage, then everyone knows, all right, load my fucking radiant bullets or whatever the fuck. Uh, or, you know, in, in Zahn's case previously, oh, they're immune to lightning damage. Well, guess I'm going to hit him with ice instead. You know, mm -hmm. before he was god tier nullifying resistances and all. Yeah. Um, as a bonus action... Uh, you can designate a target within 60 feet to take an extra 1d6 damage from your weapon. It lasts until you take a short or long rest, and it ends early if you designate a different creature. So you basically just say, that guy right there, he's fucked. All day. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm going to hop out. Okay. Have okay. a good night. Okay. I need sleep. Go sleep. Good night. Go Chuck some NyQuil. Oh, okay. Bye. <laughs> uh, you are able to interrupt a spell or teleport or a teleport spell within 60 feet of you with the DC against your spell save DC. And that resets on a short or long rest. So basically, if a caster is within 60 feet of you, you sort of either shoot an arrow or swing your sword at them to interrupt their concentration. Uh, and that resets on a short or long rest. I don't remember if it said specifically how many charges of that you had access to. Where is it? Um, I know, it just looks like uh, it says once you use this feature, you can't use it again. So you, you basically get one. Uh, let's see. If the target of your slayer's prey forces you to make a saving throw, you can use your reaction... And the, the um, slayer's prey, I believe, is the one that uh, lets you deal the more damage to it. Uh, That's also you, a real sick metal band name. Slayer's prey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if the target of your slayer's prey forces you to make a saving throw, you can use your reaction to make one weapon attack against the quarry. You make this attack immediately before making the saving throw. If your attack hits, your save automatically succeeds in addition to the attack's normal effects. So not only do you get to save from an attack, but you also get to stab them back. <laughs> or shoot them back, whatever the case may be. Uh, and last but not least is the Swarm Keeper. I'm... Probably the least interested in this one. It gives me a big, nice. like... Huh? 
bugs. Well, depending. It gives me a very big, like, vampire sort of vibe. Um... Because uh, you're able to basically dissipate and command a swarm of creatures, be it insects, birds, pixies, something of that nature. But you do get a bunch of free spells with this subclass. Um, you also deal AoE damage from your swarm and can knock enemies down prone. Your swarm can give you half cover, which is plus 5 to your AC. And you basically have a misty step in the form of bamfing out into your swarm solidifying 30 feet away and you can use it as a you use it as a reaction to taking damage which um it gives you resistance as well as a teleportation so basically if you get attacked you have resistance to that damage because you're bamfing away and then you're just 30 feet away from your attacker who then has to use their next turn traveling that 30 feet to get to you which they may or may not be able to do depending on what they are so it's interesting, but it's not as interesting as, like, Drake Warden to me, or Gloomstalker, or the, uh, what was the other one that I was really interested in? Um, the Horizon Walker. So, it is, Ranger is my least favorite because, along with what Zeke was saying, there are some hindrances to the class of what makes a class great as a class. But I do feel like some of the subclasses, if you pick the right one and you play them correctly, make up for a lot of their shortcomings. It may take a little bit to get to some of those higher level abilities, but yeah. So, can I can I defend Ranger? No, please by all means. Ranger means. only bad. Um, I chose ranger because <clears throat> i have been playing D, D for like 15 years and i decided i want to piggy dip and do some magic because i normally play like fighters and barbarians and rogues people who don't really have lots of magic right so i thought that hey ranger has not that much magic uh i'm gonna try that so yeah good starting class if you want to Piggy dip into some magic. Um, and uh, let's see what else. Uh, I like range. R yeah. Range is good. Range is good. Range keeps pets safe. Right, range, range does keep pets safe. Plus, being a meathead all the time of a fighter slash barbarian, it gets kind of boring being in melee combat. So, why not Sneep Snop? Which is funny, considering that the last fight you got up close and personal with your shotgun, but that's beside the point. That is true. But they and, got up in my face. And when we were going through the tunnels, you were like, ooh, let me go in first and brick the tank. It was just like, but I thought that was my job. <laughs> that is true. But I was also the only one with Dark Division. Yeah, you couldn't see. If I couldn't see, I walked directly into the danger and take the hit. Plan you approved. also flew an owl to attack a crate. I am not even 50 days old yet. And as another reason why I chose Beastmaster is because not only do kobolds have pack tactics, but so do velociraptors. So my thinking is infinite pack tactics, which means always advantage, never disadvantage. Pretty much. 
And now you've also got your summon beast spell too, so that's double the potential of pack tacticing the battlefield. And a scorpion. <clears throat> and a scorpion. So, yeah, I just need to keep remembering pack tactics because I I try to pre-plan everything, and then pack tactics is like the very bottom of my list. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Because I have like four creatures that I can control at once, and that bogs down combat. It can be a little daunting, but, um, well, the other side of that, you know, quote-unquote bogging down combat is some people, when it's not their turn, they don't pay attention. And then when it's their turn, then they start deciding what they want to do instead of taking the entire turn to figure out how they want to proceed and then being ready for it. Someone who's currently not in this call that shall not be named. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it can bog down combat, but if you're prepared for it, when it's your turn, you say, these two move here, I move here, I shoot them because pack tactics advantage, roll damage, or roll attack, roll damage, they attack, roll damage. You can make combat quick if you're prepared beforehand, which is why a lot of the times I at least try to say, you know, Zon, you're up, Pez, you're on deck. That means pay attention, start planning your your turn. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay attention and then it becomes your turn and you take five, ten minutes, that's kind of why I start to say, like, what are you going to do if you're sitting there going, um, 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 because... Combat's quick. And if you're yeah. only just now trying to plan out your turn and you take too long, I am going to skip you. Mm-hmm. So, just be warned. Works for me. So, yeah. Rangers, like, they're fun. At least to me. Well, if you have a good time, that's all that matters. Rangers can definitely be fun. If you play them right, and you understand their shortcomings and how you can overcome them, definitely, definitely, definitely look at the subclass, subclasses that are available, and try to find the one that you think is going to best suit your playstyle, and then build your character around those. Because, I mean, as I just read through basically every subclass that I have access to, You've got some really fucking badass options here. Mm -hmm. Becoming a ghost, having a drake that you can eventually ride. I mean, if you look at a Beastmaster, God forbid a Beastmaster has their pet die. They have to go find another animal of the correct size, creature rating, that is not hostile to you. Yeah. And you have to take the time which I think is like eight hours to befriend yes, this animal. Yep. The and Drake Warden is basically like, fuck, my dragon just died. Well, guess I'll summon another one. Because yeah. your, your Drake companion is literally, according to the lore, is a physical embodiment of your dragon spirit. 
So, and I, I will say for the Beastmaster, you do get to add your proficiency to pretty much everything uh, for the beast. So, like, their mm -hmm. AC goes up, their health goes up, their attack <clears throat> goes up, their damage goes up. Everything goes up based on uh, your proficiency, and I think their health goes up um, it, based on your ranger level. Um, Which, granted... It's still not that high. It's not. Like, the highest their hit points can go is um, 80, which that's at level... If that is if you are a level 20 ranger, 80 hit points at level 20 is not a lot mm -mm. for anything. Um, and they don't even give you the option of having, like, a, a pet that can grow in like crit yeah. ratings so like you know you yeah. start out it with a velociraptor stays. and it gets to be like a Deinonychus or gets to be like yeah. an allosaurus no it's tiny always yeah. it is it is a medium creature so it can't be a large creature um so there's only a few of those that you can actually ride um and it has to be of one-fourth or lower. And that never changes. It has to be one-fourth or lower. One-fourth a CR rating is a weak creature. Mm -hmm. um, Which is why the Drake Warden was so awesome. Because it literally levels up with you. It gets yeah. bigger. Yeah. It, and granted, Pokemon. that yeah. weak creature gets a boost to its armor and its attack and its damage and everything. But its health is still going to be crap no matter what. Um... Mm -hmm. And granted, like some of the, some of them are like okay, like you can ride some of those medium creatures, like a uh, like a giant owl. You could technically ride that, and it flies, which is great. It has some cool abilities. Um, but if you don't pick a creature that has multi attack, you're missing out on a interesting thing with uh, your level eleven perk, which is if they have multi attack, they can use that now. Um, it's it's just. It's very restrictive and doesn't have a lot of room for growth. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a it's a great early level thing. Yeah, but and I mean I've I've been racking my brain on like how to make all of that stay relevant as we go because I'm planning on this campaign going for years into the future like potentially max level we'll see how things go i don't really know because depending on how you guys progress through your stories and the story of the world it's a potential that you reach the end story arc before you're level 20 i don't know we haven't gotten there yet so yeah. i'm not above breaking DD's rules to make things stay relevant and fun especially considering that you picked a subclass in like session five and we're get, we're already in session 30 and it's kind of like too late to change it and have it make sense like i i don't think i would allow you to change to drake warden and just like retroactively have a dragon because that just wouldn't make any sense but lore wise if you put it in Hamburger is evolving. Yeah, like I could potentially <laughs> see Hamburger become going from a tiny to a small creature 
gaining a higher hit pool, maybe getting a little bit more AC, a bit more, uh, like a, a little bit of a stat bump. I, I was I'm, actually going to ask about that. Then we're going to have to have a sit down probably off stream and talk about it. But because I think hamburger has like what 14 hit points 20 hit points 21 something i can tell you that right now hamburger has 24. yeah yeah that's half now granted he's a tiny creature and he's a familiar he's not meant to be on the level of a playable character but that's really fucking low <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's eight i mean it's four times his ranger level which is eight so Wait, yeah. Wait, wait, that doesn't make sense. It should be 32. D&D &D Beyond could also potentially not be doing the math right. Mm -hmm. Ah, his ranger level is only six. Ah, right. Thank you. Sorry. Yep. Yep. Yeah, from, from now on, I am going to be pumping more into ranger because I don't think I should continue doing artificer because I'm good at level two because I can do what I want at level two. You're not going to go for one of the uh, subclasses? I mean, I could. Do I get that at level three for Artificer? Yeah. I think so. Artificer follows that kind of mold as most of the other classes. And like I said, you don't have to. Um, I was just curious. I might. Because I think there was one thing that uh, Becca and I talked about. And uh, let, me, let me hop over to the Artificer... Um, class because she talked about maybe doing a ranger or a druid artificer combination yeah, it's it's third level that you pick yeah now I... in, in all fairness i'm gonna make this um quite clear as a dm i've never been a huge fan of how multi-classing works in the mm -hmm. sense of you stunt your growth in one to grow in another it makes sense in some aspects, but I... now granted, this could be the beer talking. I may think about this later and be like, oh, what the fuck was I saying? <laughs> if you, if Pez, you were to tell me right now that you wanted to pump all of your levels into Artificer, because of how integral Hamburger is to the party, I would still probably say that you pretend that your Ranger level is going up for the sake of Hamburger. As far as, like, increasing his stats go. Because if you are legitimately interested in Artificer, I don't want your six levels of Ranger to just go to waste. Mm. In the sense yeah. of limiting Hamburger's growth. Because if that's the case and you're happy with Artificer and you want to do that, cool. But then, technically, Hamburger would stay at 21 hit points for the rest of the game which some of these higher monsters would shot. like glance in his direction and he would just go up in a puff of smoke. And that's bullshit. If we went up mm -hmm. against an adult dragon, he would be burnt to a crisp or whatever element. Mm -hmm. Which, let's be honest, if you went straight 20 levels in Ranger, that would happen anyway. But... Oh, yeah. I still say that that's fucking bullshit and I probably wouldn't allow that to happen. I would make... I am going to make tweaks... I want this campaign to be fun. Like, I'm a stickler for rules to an extent, but there's some shit that's just bullshit. Yeah, mm -hmm. just a little bit. Rules as long as, it, as long as it makes sense to not break the game, but not prevent fun. Rules are right. just guidelines. 
And I am all about the rule of cool. That is the only rule that matters to me. Mm. Unless it's to make Zack not be god tier, in which case it's very much the rules, <laughs> rules, rules. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. We have, we, have, we have a little pet apparently that's more god than Zon right now, so you have no excuse to be mad at me. Well, in all fairness, when I say that the pet is god tier, that just means that he steals nope. the kills. No, nope, this is not we're going to make this. Pet is now God. Zon. I'm not gonna lie. When you were like, we're gonna have to make freaking a uh, hamburger God, I'm like, I will actually kill him if he becomes a god. Well, if he becomes a god, you won't be able to kill it's him. Gonna be like, well, no, here's the thing, it's like it's one of those situations where like you walk up the pedestal and like at the very tops, like the how you go in ascension. It's like you're gonna see hamburger walking up, Zon's gonna come up with a fucking mallet, just squash it and just run up the stairs before him. <laughs> now, if we're talking about like actual in characterness, would he attack with the sword or would he just strike him with lightning and then slowly ascend the steps like what? What? <laughs> no, he would probably pick hamburger hamburger up, wait till he gets up to the up to the top of the stairs and throw him back down to Pez before walking in himself. Yeah, that's accurate. Well, that's uh, pretty much all I've got as far as all of my notes. Yay. Yeah. I was about to say, I'm pretty much going to have to call it here in a minute anyways. Yeah. I haven't really heard any new topic ideas. So, actually, speaking of topics. Uh, Gods. For the, for the rest of May, I well, I guess, let me see. Let me check the calendar real quick. <clears throat> okay. So, next week, we will have another episode of Whiskey Wednesdays. But for the sake of my own sanity... After the month of May, I am going to be doing Whiskey Wednesdays only on alternating weeks. So if we have a D&D uh, game scheduled, uh, I will not be having Whiskey Wednesdays that week. That gives me a little bit more time to plan for the campaign and not be also trying to cram in Whiskey Wednesdays topics. The week after a campaign, however, I will be doing Whiskey Wednesdays. So... I will be yeah, doing one more Whiskey Wednesdays this month, but after that, it will be going to a bi-weekly schedule. Makes sense. Oh, well, add gods to your list for next week. Gods in what Ooh, yeah. form, shape, or fashion? The gods of your world. Okay. Uh, nope. I, I mean, that's no. still a very, very broad topic. Are you talking lore, characteristics, a god in particular? A little of all. I, dude, come uh, on. I mean, Help me I'm out here. Trying to think. I'm thinking. <laughs> listen, I'm thinking. It has been a day. It has been a day. I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, I. While he's thinking, I want to add. I would also like to talk bap, about. Bap, 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 bap. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and you can think in the corner. And oh, go ahead and tell us. Okay. Did you server mute him? You server muted him. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you're on server muted. <laughs> the toaster I is angry. <laughs> the toaster will... The toaster's gonna jump in the bath when you're in there. Um, You'll make bomb. me stronger. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um... 
but I would like to talk about like pantheons in general, like the making of pantheons, which ones we actually like or would like to see in D and D games. And that doesn't even have to be fantasy ones; it could be like mythology ones from actual history. So, oh, okay. So, uh... gods, pantheons in general. Uh, so I did pantheons uh, in general, incorporating DMR. real pantheons into D and D. Yeah, because that's actually been a thing for a while. Like the the player's handbook and i believe a lot of uh older material in D D like gave options for like oh yeah here's how you would incorporate a uh historical god godly pantheon into your game like there's actually precedent for that right and uh i don't know i'm like i want to say like how the gods of your world came to be but that's kind of spoilery cheese so it's like well, one of those I mean, like, I can always I want... talk about like how I came up with them. I Jeez. mean, I can kind of, I can kind of understand that. Um, I don't like, I guess, generic entry lore for any of them. Like, just like when you first came up with them, some of the basic lore behind all of them would probably be good because I know that we've talked about it a couple times, but like, so I mean, it would essentially be the common knowledge of the world. What? What does Zahn know about Kadal? What does Zahn know about Coyote? What does Pez know about uh, Tlalocoatl? Um, what does Kasumi know about Valkyrie? That kind of thing. Yeah, but then nobody knows shit about any of them. The only thing I right. know is that one of them has a very funny name and one of them is stalking me. Yeah, exactly. See, exactly. Well, so you say that you don't know, but that's just because you as a person haven't thought to ask but in my brain it's kind of like pretty much everyone mm. has a basic understanding of the christian god kind of thing everyone has well, a basic you. understanding of like buddha furry jesus sure werewolf zombie jesus he so, died on the cross so you could see jesus <laughs> Uh, so I have um, pantheons in general, incorporating real pantheons into D and D. I may late let uh, Zeke take control of that one because Tiamat, I love her. Okay, adding Tiamat. Um, I'll actually look into Tiamat now that you've given me a specific one to go for, and then oh, yeah, yeah I, I'd be happy to talk about how the gods of my world came to be, how I came up with them initially, and the entry level lore behind them. Uh, I do have that one book quote-unquote that i wrote up for kayla when she asked for a uh book of such a type that gives the lore of the god's creation so um i may check with her if she's okay with me sharing that info since she is the one that got the book and uh took it from the uh, yes. city of dry bell when the dm has to get permission from a player well because i don't know if she has plans of telling that to other people or she doesn't, I, I don't want to step on any toes. If she has a big like reveal thing for it or she doesn't give a fuck, she may not give a fuck. In which case I'll just fucking read what I wrote. But all um, I know is if she says yes and nothing ever happens, I will anarchy. Well, let's be honest. She doesn't participate in this and she doesn't watch our previous episodes anyway. So she'll never fucking know. <laughs> oof. Big oof. Uh, and then I also have Tiamat. Is there anything specific hey. about Tiamat, or you just want, like, kind of basic Tiamat discussion? She's Dragon Queen. 
She's Ooh. dragon queen. All right, got it. Ooh. Uh, speaking of, as uh, someone has put in the chat, there is a link to our Discord and the specific channel for entering in any um, topics that you would like to see us discuss on Whiskey Wednesdays. They could be a specific type of rule. They could be a class, a subclass, an item. Um, maybe, probably not go too much into uh, module discussions too much, just because I don't really look at those. I mainly look at like creatures and the classes themselves. I've never actually opened up a module before, like Storm King Thunder or anything, so I don't even know what one of those fucking looks like. Uh, my campaign is words and pictures right I mean my campaign is such a hodgepodge of my random jumbling thoughts I I'm sure that I would make someone who actually writes modules brain bleed but um, yeah any suggestions that you guys have there is a whiskey Wednesdays chat in the D&D text channels and we're open to any topics more or less so that's all I got really yeah, that works. Yeah. Uh, there is no D&D this week. That will be next week. We uh, do have a Metallurgy Magic event going on this Saturday in Minecraft. We're going to be killing the Ender Dragon repeatedly uh, for gear and loot. So if you're interested in Minecraft and not D&D, join the Discord. If you're not interested in D&D, what the fuck are you doing here in Whiskey Wednesdays talking about D&D? So... Yeah, we look forward to seeing you, chatting with you, and hope you have a great rest of your week. Anyone else? Yeah. Nothing? No? Um, I won't be at the Minecraft event, but I will be at MegaCon for the next four days. Ooh. Yeah, I'll be at MegaCon for the next four days, so if you're in Orlando and at the con, come find me. I'll be dressed up as Indiana Jones tomorrow. All I know is if you don't bring me something back, I'll kill you. Well, that's too bad. I'm broke. Well, he can't bring you anything back. He's in Florida. Yeah. And broke. Nope. That sounds like an excuse to me. Whore yourself out. It is an excuse. Show a bit of like want to do it. Listen, <laughs> fat chicks need love too. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Fools and Flagons podcast. If you enjoy our adventures, you can catch us live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash fools and flagons. That's fools, the letter N, flagons, all one word. If you want to hang out with the fools and other nerds, come join our Discord. The links can be found in the description.